Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. As always, this is Jay. And I'm Shanna. And this week, we're talking about a total classic, uh, Sergio Leone's 1964 picture, A Fistful of Dollars. Uh, wow, this one just a uh, landmark film. There, there's so many careers that launched here and just like a whole genre, basically. The movie was fun. It's, it's a lot <laughs> of fun. <laughs> um, I hadn't seen this one before. I had only seen uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which is, well, it, it's the same genre, but it's a very different feeling film than this. It's sort of arguably the same character, but not like it might be the same guy. They've, <laughs> they kind of market them all as being the man with no name films. Uh, once they came to America, that was like the American promotion. So by the time they were doing that promotion, uh, two of these films already had come out elsewhere. So like Fistful Dollars and A Few Dollars More, uh, both had already come out and there was they so after that they're like oh the man with no name though and uh made a whole extra uh iconography around it but in this name he in this movie he kind of has a name sort of i don't There's, i don't know if that's his name or if that's just what they call him yeah i i it could totally be cuz the i think it's just the coffin maker uh who calls him joe and it could just be, you know, because he's American, so they just call him Joe. Uh, That's kind of what I figured, because I never see him introduce any, himself to anyone. No, Actually, but I never see him say anything that isn't cool. Yeah, he he doesn't. Uh, he, he saves the words for just the right moment. Uh, so this was Eastwood's first starring role, which is crazy. How? Oh, really? Yeah. Because he mean, like, looks so at home in this. Completely. I mean, like he had been the star of a Western TV series for a while. Uh, he was on Rawhide. Oh, OK. And that's why he was not in movies is his TV contract was exclusive and he just wasn't allowed to work in movies in America. So he got this offer to do a movie in Italy and he was allowed to make movies there. So, you know, took the opportunity. And uh, it, it worked for him. Like, he's never had a non-starring role since, unless it's been, like, something he's doing in a movie he's directing. Which he's done uh, a couple of those. A couple oh, yeah. directed movies. Maybe two or three. It's it's crazy, the, the afterlife of this movie, how huge it's been. Like, Sergio Leone's career was made here. He had only made one movie prior to this, and it was not all that big. Uh it's a movie called Colossus of Rhodes, uh, which you've probably not seen. No, but the name sounds familiar. Oh, the name sounds familiar because it's an actual thing. Yeah, and it's based on that. It's it's based on the actual Colossus of Rhodes. It's, you know, it's a sword and sandal picture. It's all right. Uh, nowhere near as good as this. And this also launched Morricone, Ennio Morricone, uh, who he had done a handful of scores prior to this, but this one made him an international superstar. He, uh, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say jokingly, like, what else has he written that I would know? <laughs> uh, well, he he was in uh, he did the music for what was it? Uh, the Thing, didn't he? That's correct. Yeah. And, and of course, all of the other Leone Westerns. Oh, yeah. Like the the classic 
Wow, wow, wow. Totally iconic. And and this one feels pretty iconic too. Mm-hmm. Like I was listening to the to the I guess the theme song at the beginning. And I was like, yeah, I could get into this. This is a I I hadn't heard it before, but I felt like I had. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's very similar to the themes for the good, the bad, and the ugly. They're they they sort of build on the same ideas like they they have that guitar they have the ah the the screaming you, you got uh the whip cracks as part of the percussion i i love that it <laughs> i love that at one point towards the end of the uh the opening animation it's just a whole bunch of just cowboy silhouettes just getting shot and that's all it is for the, like the last bit of it just totally oh, here's cool, a guy yeah. getting shot that guy gets shot. That guy gets shot. Shot, shot, shot. Blam, blam, blam. <laughs> Just falling. And to the rhythm of ways. the music. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, I, I really dig the opening titles. Just red, black, and white only. Uh, and it's just rotoscoped. You know, people riding, people shooting, people dying. Great. Mm-hmm. Super cool. Uh, so not stated in the opening titles, but this is based on Kurosawa's film Yojimbo. Now that I, now that I've seen it, I can totally see how like this is this is a Zatoichi story basically. Yeah, it's it's very much got the same. Uh, it, you can tell how it fits into the Warring Clans uh, story. Oh yeah, like you have the uh, like I I I'm, I haven't seen Yojimbo, so I'm comparing it to the samurai movies I have seen. Yeah, you, you have <laughs> the Yakuza, then you have your enemy Yakuza. Um, you have the one guy who's really badass, and he, oh, he's going to be a big problem for the hero. And then you have all these other guys who are like, yeah, not so much. Yeah, and usually you got like one nice local person who probably runs a bar. Yep, yep. Um, two nice local people in this case. Eccentric coffin maker, also, you know, a, a necessary good guy. Uh, and so it's it's very point for point. A remake of Yojimbo, and it was not authorized. So when Kurosawa saw it, he's like, "Hi, this is my movie. Uh, I'll, I'll just take the rights for that. Thanks." <laughs> uh, he he sued in court and absolutely did win because you know no contest. It was based on Yojimbo. Like that's why Eastwood took it because you know he was a big fan. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so in in Japan, it was released as Return of Yojimbo, and Kurosawa got all the like he he had the rights to it, so he was the one who got to theatrically distribute it there, his own company. I'm just thinking that would be a really weird title for this movie. Yeah, especially if I've seen the first Yojimbo, which I hadn't, but I'm sure it doesn't have Clint Eastwood as a cowboy. Yeah, but like the Japanese film industry in the mid to late 60s was very strange. Like there was a whole thing. I can't remember what it was that was called a return of Frankenstein. And it was like a giant monster movie. And then they made giant monster movies with Frankenstein. Uh, <laughs> I'll take it. I don't know. I, I, and I think it's kind of similar to the Italian film industry where a lot of things were fake sequels. Which we've already encountered a bunch of in like our our previous, uh, like especially during October, there's a lot of fake horror sequels that were. You yeah, know. didn't didn't we watch one of them that was supposed to be Evil Dead Three somehow? 
Yeah, or, so it was Ghost on our House. list. Ghost House is one we watched. Uh, that was the Don't Go in the House movie, where just all these oh, people yeah. wouldn't stop going in the house. Yeah, that was marketed <laughs> as Evil Dead 3. Right, right. Uh, so that sort of thing, right? But I think it's really interesting, just the, the way this film is set up, that it is an Italian movie uh, made in Spain, but it's about America, and it's about American violence and American individualism and exceptionalism, I feel. And sort of examined through a classic Japanese lens. And I find it particularly interesting just because Italy is such an incredibly old culture compared to American culture. Uh And it's sort of like, hey, what's this uh, young, violent culture up to? And they're setting it like a little bit in the past. You know, it's, it's a couple hundred years ago, but they're, you know, paralleling it with things that happened in Japan a lot longer ago. (laughs) <laughs> not even a hundred years ago at that point exactly. i'm just thinking yeah holy yeah, shit yeah. that the wild when this movie came out the wild west wasn't even a hundred years ago absolutely holy hell yeah so I, I i feel like that's kind of an interesting way to look at it the and just the sheer violence of it which was very shocking at the time it, it was well above what any western had done up to this point oh the body count in this movie is uncountable actually there is a gigantic massacre sequence, and th- this is why when this movie was initially shown on American television, it had this fake prologue that they had to add where, like, Harry Dean Stanton is a, a general in the – I don't know. It's either the Union or Confederate Army, and they're like, we need you to go clear out this town of bad guys. And <laughs> So he was like actually assigned to do it and not just this rogue guy murdering most of this town. <laughs> okay, so mass murder is okay if the government tells you to oh. Apparently it is. Uh, yeah. This uh, yeah, came out actually in the 60s, it always has been. You know? <laughs> this is uh, around Vietnam. Uh and when that came out, when it finally aired on TV, it was during Vietnam, because it would have been the 70s by that point. Because, like, this didn't come out until America, in America until, like, 67, three years after it came out everywhere else. So weird to think about, because it's such a classic... Like, you think of it as such a classic part of American culture. Yeah, and Eastwood is so iconic, especially, yeah, like, he... this Eastwood. Mm-hmm. With, with the poncho, the hat, the cigar... Yeah, he's like a lot more squeaky clean on the TV series. Uh, what's interesting is he brought his wardrobe from America for this movie. Oh, no kidding. Like the only thing that they had was the poncho. Like he brought the hat, he brought the jeans, he brought the boots. Like he, he just kind of knew how to build this character. It worked. It I totally mean, works. Even even like among cowboys, his look is iconic. Yeah, and just instantly. Mm-hmm. So well, where we open is, you know, our man with no name, uh, and he's watching a crying child being shot at by a bunch of gunmen. Um, not shooting, not shooting at the kid, just shooting kind of at his feet, like "damn" kind of deal. Just well, like, sort of like just shooting like, around him to frighten him. Yeah. Yeah. It's more like a I'm not an I'm going to kill you small child shot. It's a get the fuck out of here small child shot. Still shooting at a small crying child. Oh yes. Oh yeah. No. This this is uh, 
I think this guy is Chico, one of the one of the thugs of the yeah. Rojo gang. Yes. Uh, and there, it seems to be like a battle between two houses just across from each other at this point. Although we'll learn that it's just, you know, a, a small front in a much larger battle that's this entire town. Yeah, at this point, they <laughs> uh, Eastwood's just drinking out of the well, watching this unfold. Uh, Chico is going to... He looks like he's going to, like, keep her at... Has, like, terrorizing the kid but he sees eastwood and i'm like oh oh here's the bit where the stupid thug is think gonna think it's a good idea to mess with our hero but he doesn't actually yeah, he yet. just goes back inside yeah not not just yet uh and he, so he uh, uh eastwood he he also sees the lady here right oh yes he does he sees the lady which is the mother of the child, although we don't know this for sure until much later. Yeah, yeah, we don't know what the heck is going on with these. We just know there's something really fucked up going on here. That's and notably, all we know at this point. Right, and so does he. So yeah. we're, we're sort of seeing it the way he does. He's introduced to the town. It's like, okay, there's something awful going on here. This is clearly this child who wants to get to its mother and is being kept from her for some reason. It's like let's let's do something about this and maybe uh, make a whole lot of money. <laughs> well, <I do> so. <laughs> how, how much money? <laughs> I don't Could honestly. Could you fit know. it in a fist? Could you fit it in a fist? <laughs> Actually, you know what? I don't think you could. I feel like I, he gets... I think there's too many dollars to go in one fist. Yeah, I, I'm gonna say this. This could have been called uh, uh, several fistfuls of dollars. <laughs> Shitload of cash. <laughs> It doesn't have the same ring to it. Just buttloads of money. Uh, so he rides into town under a noose. Really nice. Like I, I love just the whole entry to town. It's it's all kind of weirdly ghostly. Yeah, yeah, because it, like it has the feel of your, he's walking into a ghost town, but you can see everybody looking through their windows, like staring at him. And one guy just rides along, but doesn't react to him, and. As he I rides think past, he's blind. I think it's a blind guy on a horse. Oh, okay. Uh, and then when Eastwood looks back at him, he's got a sign that says "Adios, amigo." That's so cool. Uh, and so he gets into town, and these three gunmen surround and tease him just immediately, which is, I don't know what the hell they were thinking. Oh yeah, so this was the part where, whereas because the other guy didn't mess with Eastwood right away, but these guys mess with Eastwood right away. It's like, hey, there's this new guy. We don't know how tough he is, but he looks pretty, uh, pretty badass. Let's fuck with him. Although he is riding on a mule, and and maybe that's just why they're like, well, man, this guy doesn't even have a horse. Mm, could be. Uh, actually, and, I, you know what? I never noticed it was a mule. I just thought that's what they called it, like slang for a shitty horse. I didn't know it was an actual mule. No, Never yeah, noticed. He, he is indeed riding a mule. Uh, and I bet there's a story there. Uh, could very well be. <laughs> what, well, what I think is kind of cool about this is just the, the, that this is the Baxter gang. Uh, and we're, we're sort of immediately meeting them as antagonists, but the other gang, like, the the Rojos, that bad guy who is shooting at the kids, that's the other gang. So we have both of these gangs are just 
piles of shit. Like both of these are a bunch oh. of awful people. Oh yeah. Like if anything, the Baxter gang might be a little bit less shitty, maybe because they're not doing yeah, as much terrible shit. They are ultimately the less bad gang, but they still got into a fight with him the moment he came into town and drove his mule out of town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just a bunch of assholes. Yeah, yeah, they shot their gun bullets at the mule's feet and he ran off. And Eastwood just grabs the post and lets the mule run. Yeah, at the cantina, of course. Just a, a post hanging above uh, the door there. And the mule just keeps on running out of town. Uh, and he befriends the tavern keeper, of course. This is Silvanito, one of our main characters. I like this guy because he he's... Um... He's really interested in Eastwood, but he's also not afraid to say, like, yeah, I don't agree with some of the stuff you're doing here, and I'm not cool with it, but I'm also not going to stop you because I like breathing. Yeah, and he, he seems to get sort of what he's doing. He he does sort of – like, he's never on pace with him because no one can ever really be on pace with the man with no name. He's always a hundred steps ahead. He's He's got – complex plans i think part of the reason this guy exists is so that eastwood doesn't have to say words to explain what his plans are we can just cut to this guy saying so your plan is to da 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 sort of right i mean that's not the only reason for this character at all he's you know eastwood needs a buddy here well, he, he's sort of the the salvageable soul of the town. He represents that there are actual people living here who aren't just these gangs. Uh, and th- there's also just him as the one person who can actually tell him the reality of what's going on in the town. Oh, which he does. Uh, <laughs> I love the way he does it. He just uh, he's talking about how everybody ends up ends up dead if they stay here too long and he just opens the window and right on the other side of the window you can see this coffin maker just hammering together and just a pile of coffins through the window and he's like hi and then he closes the window again it's like see he was sizing up your measurements when you rode into town for your coffin yeah he says this is a town of the dead uh, I love the coffin maker too. He's so gleeful. He he's got such a positive energy. Mm-hmm. Like that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he he does explain what's going on here. Uh, the Rojos and the Baxters are at war. Uh, two, there's each town only needs one boss, but this one has two. That's not good. Yeah, a town can handle a boss, but two bosses is a big problem. Uh, and Sylvanito's like, I'm I'm warning you to just leave town. It's it's in your best interest to just get out of here. There's nothing good for you here. But like while he's talking, he's just already going. It's like, oh, is this uh, is this the upstairs? Is there a balcony up here? <laughs> just gonna go check this out. So like they they go up on the balcony and we get a really good view of the town and we kind of get a good idea of the layout of everything ahead of time, which is kind of cool. So we we yeah. sort of know how everything's set up. Mm-hmm. Because the vast majority of the action just takes place in what we can see from this balcony. Like yeah. there's the Rojo building, the Baxter building, uh, the square in between them. And very little in very little happens anywhere else. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of just how these towns are. They're just tiny little Western towns that are outposts in the middle of nothing. Uh Uh, So he calls out to Rojo and he's like, I'm looking for work, but I don't work cheap. Oh, but first, was this, no, this before, is before or that. after? Oh, that's before. This is before that. Yeah, no, he. I think it's from the roof that he's saying, like, I'm looking for work. And he calls to Rojo for that because then he get, hits the street. And, and in, as he's walking down towards the Baxters again, he uh, passes the coffin maker and says, get three coffins ready. Which is the coolest fucking thing on earth. Oh, my God. <laughs> Incredibly <laughs> iconic. Just, like, so simple and deadpan but god damn uh, like that that moment right there is like okay yes fuck this movie is so good <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean if i wasn't already sold by the opening this would have sold me yeah and his his just whole speech to the gunman about the mule and how the mule is upset like he understands but you need to apologize to the mule and of course, like <laughs> he he looks he he like waits and is very serious about it. But they take it as a joke and they all laugh and just his scowl. And he's like, I don't think it's nice you laugh and and like just the expression on his face when like he looks down like almost in disappointment and and like prepares to draw his gun. Oh so cool (laughs) like really iconic and you've never seen a western hero do this before where like he just walks to the end of town and like i'm gonna kill these men (laughs) just get ready i'm gonna go uh get these guys to draw their guns and uh, real legal like kill them all (laughs) that that's the you see that's the thing that kind of gets me you say that we've never seen western heroes do this to me, this is kind of what Western heroes do. So, like, what what did they do before this? See, they would there would be gunfights, but they wouldn't just like go up and instigate a fight to like he knew he was heading over to kill those guys. Like, there there was no other purpose. He told the coffin maker to get some coffins ready because he's heading over to murder these dudes, and that's not usually how a western hero would operate like that's kind of viewed as cold-blooded this is the way a a western villain would act i guess i mean like not after this this movie movie is unbelievably influential (laughs) yeah yeah, I, i guess that's kind of the point you're making like this movie changed the paradigm of what a western hero is like when it came out in america it was advertised as the first movie of its kind like that was literally in all of the trailers. Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, and like by that time, for a few dollars more, had already been made. So they're saying, but it won't be the last because like they had this sequel like queued up and ready to come out in America right after. Nice, nice. Um. So, so yeah, he kills the three guys very, very quickly and easily. Well, four guys, because another guy. Oh had yeah, no, you're out. right. Another guy came out, <laughs> and he says to the coffin maker, "Like my mistake, I meant four, four, <laughs> four coffins." Uh, but first, uh, the sheriff comes out of the Baxter house because the Baxters uh, are like own the sheriff. He he is John Baxter. Yeah, but and he's like, he's I'll, not... "I'll have you strung up for this." Eastwood is totally unimpressed. He's like, whatever. Also, it turns out he's not even really the leader of the Baxters, but 
none of that even matters because honestly nothing the Baxters do really matter. No, I, I don't really get what their game is. They don't seem to have the long game that the Rojos have. No, they... I think they're just like, but we're white, so we should be in charge. Yeah, I kind of feel like maybe they're sort of a founding fathers group, and like they're they're these people who, you know, he's the sheriff. They they founded the town and they put in a bunch of money, and now they kind of feel like it should be their criminal enterprise. But it's uh, but, but it's not. they have rivals. So yeah, uh, and and their rivals are much more proactive. Uh, so oh, Miguel yeah. Rojo hires our man with no name for a hundred bucks, and then he argues with his uh, with his uh, brother about his brother it. Esteban. It's like, why did you give the gringo one hundred dollars? Because he's too dangerous to be to be running around not working for anybody. Basically, he just paid it paid him. It's like essentially just I'll give you a hundred dollars. To not shoot my guys. Well, I mean, it's it's the same thing as how Zadoichi tends to be hired. There, there's one leader who's like, okay, I, I don't want this guy running. I, I don't like having this dangerous samurai running around town. Uh, just come work for me. You, you can work for me. I'll, I'll pay you some safety money. We'll, we'll hook you up with some massages. It'll all be great. <laughs> this is basically uh, the same kind of thing. Minus the massages. Unfortunately. Uh, and Chico is the guy who shows him to his room, which I find kind of funny. He's like, this is a guy who was shooting at that kid just like five minutes ago. The, the, we're, we're clearly already working with bad guys, but we're working against bad guys, too. Everybody's bad. So Eastwood is eavesdropping on the conversation between Esteban and Miguel, where Esteban's like, oh, I could just sneak up and shoot him in the back. Uh, but Miguel obviously is just having none of it because he seems to be a lot smarter. Yeah, yeah. Um, Esteban is, well, according to Miguel anyway, Esteban is the dumb one. He does seem to be the dumb one. I mean, and he, he kind he, of is. Yeah, I mean, he always has just the dumb ideas. Like, he seems to be third in command. And Miguel is second because Ramon is the main guy, but he's out of town right now. And Ramon and that's why dangerous dangerous cowboy yeah he he's he's our top bad guy uh and miguel is basically just worried about keeping things quiet until ramon comes back to town because he's working on something really big Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes yes they are working on a huge operation right now and notably at this point, the Mexican cavalry run, comes into town and it's it's related to that because there's supposed to be a cavalry meetup uh, and uh, they have a lot of gold. The, oh, the don't Mexican know. Yeah. Yeah, they have a lot of gold in the wagon. Um, somebody says to Eastwood, like, like, see what if you want to know what's in there, go walk up to it. If they <laughs> shoot you, it's gold. Uh, and someone does point a gun out at him. <laughs> yep. So it's gold. It, it is gold. Uh, so Eastwood ends up staying with Silvanito rather than staying in the place with uh, the Rojos because, you know, he knows better. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, for all he knows, some thug won't ask permission to try to shoot him. Yeah, hopefully. And so he gets a bit more backstory. He learns that Ramon is in love with Marisol, who's the woman we saw earlier. 
Uh, and he's like, he again tells Eastwood to just get out of town, leave, uh, just stay away from all of this. This is dangerous. And Eastwood's basically, is this where he takes, uh, where he takes the innkeeper to follow the cavalry? Yeah, they, they go to, to watch them meet up at the river. And, uh, yeah, so they're meeting up with, uh, this big group of U.S. soldiers yeah, it's supposed to, to be the American for, cavalry. Yeah, to exchange gold for I'm not sure what. Possibly guns. Doesn't matter because yeah, probably. I, I think this might be at some point of a civil war or like moving towards some sort of civil war. I think this is post-American civil war, whereas I, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is set during it, which theoretically is a prequel to this. If I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't seem to. Hmm. No, it's, anyway, it's been theoretically it a sequel to this because also in the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, they have a scene where he gets his poncho. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I don't. Re- well, there's it's a been lot a I don't remember. And that's a from that's that. a very long movie too. It's 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 a huge movie. It's like it's like the Odyssey of westerns. Yeah, and it's crazy because this one's just a solid ninety nine minutes. <laughs> it just <laughs> flies by. Uh, so the American cavalry, uh, in quotes, uh, <laughs> reveal that they've got a big Gatling gun. And Gatling guns were a huge deal in Western times because just nothing. They were invented by Canadians. Did you know? I did. Ah. Uh, a something Gatling. I can't remember. Robert Gatling. Was it something like that? Oh, I don't remember the name, but yeah, um, they were used in the Civil war uh and here the just one guy with the gatling gun mows down the entire mexican cavalry every single one of them every to the man even like shoots them in the back when they're running away yeah there's one that almost escapes across the river and he manages to get him running uh and it turns out that this is ramon rojo very scary uh, man very frightening guy. We we just saw him massacre an entire uh, soldier platoon, uh, and and it Basically turns out of course, by himself. Yeah, and he may have done it once already because they're in a bunch of stolen uniforms with the stolen Gatling gun and a bunch of stolen military vehicles. Yeah, so he didn't even have the Gatling gun when he was attacking the U.S. Probably, I would assume. I don't know. Maybe he just snuck in and stole some of that stuff, but who knows? Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, But yeah, their whole plan is to steal the gold and make it look like the Americans and the Mexicans killed each other. Which is, you know, reasonably solid. That would probably work. It might have worked. They might have got away with it. But if it weren't for a certain man with no name. Uh, who Ramon immediately goes is talking to back in town when we see them next. Uh, they're they're having a chat, and Eastwood is always like, "I'm just gonna leave town. It's it's cool. I I, I am gonna go." <laughs> He's like, "Here here's your money back that you paid me. Uh, didn't yeah, just, spend very much of it." Yeah, he he only spent a tiny little bit of the hundred dollars. He's he's just kind of you know continuing to play them off each other. <laughs> Yeah, I think here's the part where the innkeeper's like, so your plan is to have the Baxters on the left and the uh, and the Rojos on the right and you in the middle just making cash. 
or as I prefer, as I like to call it, I'm playing a game called Clint Eastwood gets paid. You yep. two kill each other and I get paid. And Silvanito is again, it's like, you should just leave town. Come on. I, I want you to go. <laughs> it's it, like every single conversation he has with Silvanito is like, I really think you should leave. though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then it's always also Eastwood just kind of convincing him to do something that he doesn't really want to do. So this time they go with the coffin maker out to the graveyard with a couple of coffins. Oh, yeah, I love that. He says to the guy, like, closed up shop, we're going on a trip. He's like, and I still kind of feel like Silvanito's like, hell yeah, I want to see what this idiot does. And we, during this time as well, the Baxters are headed to the Rojos for a banquet, which interestingly, we don't even see. It seems like in, in most versions of this movie, we'd see a sequence of them having a banquet and all of like the drama there. Yeah, no, we just cut right past it. Yep, we we don't really get to know most of these characters all that much. Uh, because at the graveyard, instead, we've got Eastwood dumping those bodies just out, uh, like leaning them up against a gravestone to be decoys. He's like, the dead can be very useful at times. <laughs> and Silvanito is not having it. <laughs> oh, what does he say? Like, I want... When I'm with the about, living, I want to be with the living. When I am dead, I want to be with the dead. And I do not want... And I, oh, like, I would God. be very upset if someone were to drag me out of my rest, I think, or my eternal rest. He's like, I hope you understand what I'm saying. And I'm out of here. <laughs> like, immediately, he just leaves him there. Like, he takes the wagon and goes. Yeah, yeah. He's like, he, he puts his money where his mouth is when he says he wants no part of it. Yeah. Uh, And then Eastwood gets back into town and he sneaks into the Baxter's house. And here's where he starts really raking in the cash. This is the two back-to-back scenes where he gets each of them to give him 500 bucks. Oh, yeah, right, right. He tells the Baxter's about the plan. Yeah, he he talks to Consuela and he he informs about the gold that uh, the Rojos got from the massacre. Or as I call as I called her because I never saw her name, the the hot goth Baxter mom. Yep, and she's, she's not like, that goth, but you know she wears black dresses. Yeah, and and then like the husband shows up. I, I guess it is this Sheriff Baxter comes in and she has him pay him five hundred bucks. So clearly he's yeah. not strung up after all. <laughs> yep. So yeah, this part's really cool because as he. As he comes in, he Eastwood takes the gun out of his hand and says, never know what a man might do when he sees another man in, in a room with his wife. <laughs> so cool. And then she's like, yeah, just give him $500. And he's like, what? Why? Excuse me? <laughs> like, service is rendered. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes up to the Rojos and does basically the same thing. Well, yeah, except this one, he's telling them about some gunmen hiding in the graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which we don't know of we which we don't know, but he's also told the Baxters. Yeah, yeah. Because so. like he tells them about that afterwards. That's what he's getting the five hundred dollars for. So he gets five hundred dollars from the Rojos as well. But like he's sending both of them up there to find gunmen. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, yeah, because the, the Rojos are like, oh, shit, some Mexican soldiers survived. And the Baxters, I guess, are like, oh, shit, some Mexican soldiers can expose what the Rojos are doing. I, I think what he was telling the Baxters was that uh, the Rojos were like gathering to do something there or or had like the stash of gold there or something. Like we don't really get we we never get the scene of him telling what they're doing, but he he's definitely just maneuvering both of them to kill each other uh, while taking all of their money in the process, which is very fun. <laughs> he's not done taking their money. Of course not. Because <laughs> while they're doing their thing in the graveyard, he's looking for the gold. <laughs> well, yeah. Really cool part where he does some trick shooting to shoot the ropes up holding or shoot the ropes that are holding a window up and knock out a guard. Yeah, he knocks out Chico this way. Yeah. And meanwhile, the groups at the graveyard meet up and they start fighting. So we get like a lot of cross cut action here. Uh-huh. Yeah, so uh, they're basically so they're fighting. Um, the Rojos are the Rojos are just having fun with it because they've they've already killed or they somewhere in the crossfire they kill one of the uh, quote unquote gunmen. And <laughs> yeah, it's like if he's dead, then the Ro- if those guys are dead, then the Rojos win as much as anybody wins this because then they can't talk about the Rojo plan. Right. Uh, so, but they're like, yeah, we'll just keep shooting at them for a little bit. Then we'll let them have these bodies. Yeah, just to be sure. Uh, and uh, Eastwood, meanwhile, at the at the Casa Rojo, finds the gold hidden in a wine barrel. Yeah, there's this uh, scene where he's just tapping on all of them with his pistol. Yep. To see if there's one that's hollow or. It takes a while, but he finds it. Of course. And ultimately, the Rojos end up coming back with Antonio Baxter, uh, the son of the Baxters, as a hostage. (laughs) Which uh, Eastwood finds out hiding out at the Baxter house already by this point. Oh, but first, though, he accidentally punches Marisol. Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Thinking thinking she's a guard or something. That's right. So he brings her to the Baxter house. Right, because that's the idea, is the Rojos want to trade Antonio for Marisol. Uh-huh. Well, first it was going to be to trade Antonio for getting the fuck out of town, but now that they have Marisol, that kind of changes right. what the trade is. And supposedly Ramon is madless, madly in love with Marisol, although he just... Stalker obsession. No, he's a yeah. stalker. Yeah, he doesn't really do... I don't know. It's it's very strange because he doesn't seem to like her and he's never around her all that much. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he just wants a pet. He just wants to have her. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's basically. I mean, he it. is psychotic. We we have oh, seen absolutely like uh, mass murder in this movie. Oh yeah, he has by far the highest body count of anybody. Oh, completely, because that's not his only massacre in the film. No, he, he doesn't. <laughs> There's he another one people in the up. graveyard, he, and he's going to kill some more people pretty quick here, too. A lot more. Oh, yeah. So the next day, they have this really tense meetup for the exchange. And this is where we kind of get the background that the child from the start is Marisol's son, and they meet up 
here. Like the the child comes out of a house and draws her attention, and they embrace. And uh, I think this at this point, one of the Rojo gang members is going is like pointing a gun at the child, and then the innkeeper uh, Silvanito points his gun at them, and then Eastwood, who is leaning up against the post just stands up straight and they're like, well, let's just not do this. Yeah. Well, wait, wait, first uh, they, they send Antonio back over to the Baxters and Consuela slaps him for getting caught. <laughs> and it's, it's Rubio uh, from the Rojos and he's, he, he's uh, pointing his gun at the father of the child at the father. Oh, of right. child. And he's getting started. Like he's getting ready to start a gunfight. Like he preps to get his gun ready and then uh, Eastwood is like, he he tells Marisol to go to Ramon, that that's what you're supposed to do. That's the deal here. And so he sort of diffuses the situation so it doesn't get violent. But it's like on the verge of everybody. It, yeah. Starting to shoot. yeah. 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 Um, you can only diffuse the violence for so long. Of course. And I, I love this here. Marisol doing like the sad Charlie Brown walk back over to <laughs> to, yeah. to the rojos it's it just a, a a long sad walk it does feel like the charlie brown walking music should be played here <laughs> and so here we get like the whole backstory from sylvanito uh, how ramon took marisol hostage alleging that the husband had cheated him at cards, which it seems to just be a total fabrication just for the purposes of owning her. Mm-hmm. But uh, but he's forbidden her from seeing uh, her husband and child ever, like, ever again, even though they, he keeps her in this building across the street from where they live. Like, yeah, he's, he's just a psychopath. He's just torturing them for no reason. Yeah. And the child is just loudly crying about it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. He's super upset. Yeah. He's a very small child. Yeah. Uh, and notably, his name is Jesus. Uh, and I think the husband is Joseph. Like they're. Oh, shit. Yeah. Did you pick that up? <laughs> they're kind of she's the Madonna and <laughs> all of that. Mary soul. Oh, my God. No, I didn't yeah. get that. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, like, it's a very obvious symbolism. These are these very pure people, and they're the only ones that he's out to save in this rotten town that he's going to burn to the ground, more or less. <laughs> yeah. And at this point, he goes back to work for the Rojos. He he just goes and hires back on with them. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, let's go get some more money from those guys. I've, and it's about this point where I've lost track of how much he's fleeced the town for. But he has at least a thousand bucks plus however much gold that was in his pocket. This particular time he gets paid is probably my very favorite one because I think he goes to them and someone's asking him, like, well, why are you telling us this? And he just like smiles and like, like, holds open his hand for money <laughs> <laughs> yeah He's like oh yeah yeah of course right <laughs> oh, uh, and they throw a big party everyone's getting drunk and he's shooting at a suit of armor oh yeah yeah here we see 
here here we see the demonstration that that uh, Ramon doesn't need a Gatling gun to be a badass. Yeah, he's all about the Winchester. He's got his good old Winchester rifle, and he's like, oh, this is a way better weapon than your handgun. I don't know enough about guns to know if that's true or not. We don't actually get to find out, really. Yeah, Winchester's a pretty powerful gun. Like, it's sort of one of the classic guns of the West. Uh, There's even a Jimmy Stewart movie called Winchester 73, where he just has this really good gun. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, he uh, Eastwood is shooting at the suit of armor just for practice, and then Ramon like shoots a heart shape in the armor around where the heart is. Uh, just As he's coming up. down a staircase. Yeah, it's pretty it, badass. It, it is a badass. And he says, "When a man with a forty-five and a man with a Winchester gets it, or brings when a man brings a forty-five to a fight with a man with a Winchester." The man with the 45 ends up dead. Let's see if that's going to happen. Obviously, we're, we're, we're setting up for it. And we, we also get the plan that like he only shoots for the heart. And, and he, he's very serious about it. Like He, he makes a statement about how uh, he only shoots for the heart. And that's how uh, a real man has a gunfight, basically. And very, you know, setting this up is for, actually very important. It's crucial. Uh, and he also, at this point, sends Marisol to just be put in a house somewhere so he doesn't have to deal with her during the party and sends five men to guard her. Which, again, does not seem like he's madly in love with her. <laughs> no, no, he... I think she's just step one of the harem that he's eventually going to build. Maybe. He just has not found anyone else uh, worthy within his town, I guess. It's Consuela, but I don't think. Well, yeah. there's, there's, yeah, no. I don't know. Uh, so Eastwood pretends to get drunk and sneaks out. Uh, and here's the first, like another of his little massacres. He goes into the room and he just kills all the guards at once. Oh yeah, the the room where they're holding uh, Marisol. Yeah, the at the small house. Yeah, the small house, they call it, which is apparently really far away from the Rojo house. It seems to be, because, like, it's right across the street from where the kid lives, and that's, like, on the outskirts of town, because that's before he came into town he saw that shit. Mm-hmm. And we have, like, a long sequence of them hearing gunfire and then riding over there. Although I really like first when he just shoots all of the guards like really fast, like there's five guys and he just like takes all of them out in an instant. And then the cat cat just comes flying out of there. (laughs) (laughs) And then he starts trashing the place. Yeah. Uh, And one guy is still alive, but uh, Marisol warns him and he gets him with he throws a machete and gets him. It's pretty rad. (laughs) Yeah. And this is basically his main objective completed. He gives her some money and reunites her with her family and sends them on their way. And that's that's it. They're they're dealt they're with. Do- they're not part of this anymore. And now the like the only person who needs uh, any saving is Silvanito. Like he's the that's... only worthwhile person left in the town. So yeah, well, I, I don't think. I think at this point his objection his objective kind of stops being saving people and more like right. 
Yeah, well. <laughs> now, now he's just going to get out of there with his money, but he, yeah. he might want to just take it down the whole town first. <laughs> yeah, probably. I feel like Ramon's the kind of guy you don't want to leave running around chasing you. Um, you kind of want to get that shit dealt with right away. It's hard to say because things just sort of really pile up fast here. Uh, oh, I, I, boy, it escalates. I, I like here that he mentions he when he's sending off Marisol, he says, I knew someone like you once and no one was there to help. And presumably that means his mother. Right. Like this. Oh. That's probably what he's doing here. Could be. Um, he, do, he doesn't elaborate ever. Well, because if no one was there to help, he was there, but he was not able to help at that time so presumably he was a child and that's why oh. he is what he is oh that could be hmm. okay that's, that's how i read it anyways well that makes sense uh but very quickly the rojo uh, you know they they come for the gun from here in the gunfighter and fire and they hear uh they find the massacred guards and they figure <laughs> oh well there must have been the baxters starting a war yeah there must have been so many of them yeah, they must have been like a horde. <laughs> uh, yeah. But they do so, also figure Eastwood had to have been involved, so they capture him and beat the shit out of him. Yeah, that's a thing that you don't... So something I've wanted to mention, um, like modern, that you don't see so much anymore, is your hero getting the shit kicked out of him. True. Modern action heroes actually have, like, like uh, The Rock and... At least The Rock. I don't know about anybody else. They have contracts that say that you they can only take they're only allowed to take so many hits so that they don't appear weak. Yeah, and that's so fucking lame. Yeah. Like, this, was, this was a big iconic thing, and it showed just how tough they were because they would be resilient. They'd come back. This was a big thing in, uh, well, like especially the spaghetti western genre that uh, evolved out of this, but like kind of just common to. Uh, a, a lot of Italian genre cinema, so like, you know, in your sword and sandal flicks, your your peplum, your uh, uh, plizioteschi, that's kind of just your 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 good guy's gonna get beaten up sometime, and he's gonna bounce back from it because it's gonna show how powerful and tough he is. Well, I figure that's that's always been kind of like the requirement for like a, a hero's journey. You can't just start out the, you can't be invincible. Yeah, um, otherwise, boring. you have to have a whole different kind of conflict, like like Superman. Yeah, you have I'd, to have a I'd, whole different kind of conflict for the for a Superman story to have stakes. But that's sort of been the problem: is that most blockbuster cinema, modern blockbuster cinema, everyone has to be Superman, and every every story has to be at a Superman level. Like things have expanded so much that you can't have. Just a little story about a small town where just there's a couple shitty gangs and someone burns them down. Man, I would love to see. Like, like this was the biggest action movie of all time in 64. Right? Oh, hell yeah. Like this movie is like. But it's relatively small dope. comparatively, but it's so much better. Well, it, it has blockbuster qualities like it has <laughs> explosions. Oh, yeah. I mean, this has. <laughs> action this is an action-packed movie this is an action movie <laughs> yeah it's just it, it doesn't have to be world-ending action you know it, it has smaller stakes but they're human stakes mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but 
like, yeah, here it's, I just, I just hate when, I, I, I just hate how rare it is to see your hero get the shit kicked out of him. No, I totally agree. I, I feel like, like it's it's humanizing. It it shows that they can be beat, so it it, it raises the stakes somewhat. Like how yeah. RoboCop, RoboCop got real badly beat before he became RoboCop. You know, I don't know if I've ever seen the full RoboCop. Oh my when god! I, and, I, unless I, unless it's like as a kid who didn't get it, Impossible. I either saw it as a kid who didn't get it, or I haven't seen it at all. We'll, we'll absolutely have to do it sometime. RoboCop rules. A fantastic movie. Uh, so anyway, at this point, he gets really beat up. Like, they beat oh, him yeah. up for quite a while. And he oh, is yeah. just, like, bloody and just, like, his, his eyes are swollen shut. He is fucked up right now. But he has what he has enough in him to set up a really cool booby trap. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> So, like, he's in their wine cellar. I guess that's where they're keeping him to beat him up. So he sets up this really huge barrel on a ramp to just crush a couple guys when they come back for him. <laughs> yep. And, and then, then he lights a fire. <laughs> mm-hmm. Starts burning the place down. Yep. And uh, Ramon doesn't like that. No. Uh, uh, and they, they start hunting for him all over town while he's, all... like, hiding under houses. Yeah, he's hiding under houses. They're going to everybody who's ever, like, basically everyone who's ever looked at him. Like, they, they go to the Silvanito. They they figure he's with the Baxters. Mm-hmm. So they're like, okay, we're just going to do a full-scale assault on the Baxters, like, now. Yep. Uh, and they, well, well first, they, they go after Silvanito. They beat him up. Uh, and, like, he's secretly just hiding right outside the wall while they're doing it and watching. Uh, and then uh, he hides it in a coffin and the coffin maker finds him there and he takes him out of town just before the attack starts. He takes him just to where he can see the attack and then takes him out right. of town. Right, Because yeah. he watches this happen. Well, you got to see this. This is what he's been working towards. <laughs> this <laughs> sort is of. insane what happens here. It's such a mask. Like, again, this is something that was not done before in a Western movie. Like, just the the level of bloodshed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just, like, cruelty, too. Oh, it's completely brutal. Uh, some of the people, like, a, a lot of the main actors who turned this movie down uh, just thought it was too violent and, and thought it was just unacceptably violent for this scene specifically. And like even some of the people in the movie, like um, the lady who plays Consuela, I think, or no, maybe it's the, the lady who plays Marisol. I, I think she has an interview on the disc and she said like, I was very troubled by how extremely violent this was. And oh, it, it, it is. For the time, yeah, like really over the top. I definitely haven't seen anything this violent in a Western, like not even in the good, the bad, the ugly, I don't think. Yeah, like not this sustained level of violence. Like I I feel like they when they were making it, they were just having too much fun. They just kept doing it. (laughs) (sighs) So basically, they uh, set up like a... They liked like a gunpowder trail, like from the Looney Tunes cartoons. I guess that yep. was a thing they actually did. 
Is it gunpowder uh, or is it gasoline that they have? I'm not sure. It, it might be a bit of both. But they, it's definitely, they do the trail and they have a bunch of barrels. And they, they light it and boom, goes up. Baxter House goes on fire. And then everybody who tries running out, like they, they don't even have their guns or anything. They're just running out. Well, the first few people are trying to shoot. They get killed instantly. And then everyone else who comes out is like on fire and stuff. They're like, we surrender. We surrender. Blam, blam, blam. No, don't. We surrender. I'll get out of town. I'll do whatever you want. I swear. Blam, blam, blam. Yeah. And this uh, happens for like 30 people. We we see like oh, yeah. 30 people massacred. And then finally, John Baxter and son, like uh, I think it's John and Antonio come out and they're yeah. like, we surrender. We promise we'll just leave town. Shoots them down, too. <laughs> And then Consuela comes out. They had no guns. Shoot. <laughs> you, He's like, you murderers. Uh, curses curses them. Uh, I can't remember what she said, but it was so cool. I can't remember the exact wording either. But yeah, she she calls down a curse upon them uh, and they shoot her too. And that's that's all of the Baxters. Like, complete massacre of this. Like, this is a family annihilation. Yeah. Like, it's <laughs> hardcore. Oh yeah, and they just let and they just let the building burn. Yep. Uh, and then they just kind of have the run of the town, so we catch up with Eastwood, gradually getting back to health, uh, in, in a cave outside of town. <laughs> He's working on his gunplay in a cave with a box <laughs> full of scraps. He's got a big slab of iron to shoot at. Uh. Relearning, like getting getting his his feeling back, because he was really badly beaten. Oh yeah, like he's by the time he's out, and by the time he's out, he's not better. No, he's, he's still uh, looking beat up. He's still fucked up. His his one hand still barely works. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the coffin maker comes to tell him that the Rojos have captured Silvanito because they're still looking for him, and they. You know, they they figure they can beat it out of him somehow. Yeah. Uh, Which, and uh, great line here. Uh, uh, among his many great lines, Eastwood says, you're liable to have some business. <laughs> Fucking rad. Uh, and the coffin maker gives him a stick of dynamite to uh, go start things off with. Like something I want to uh, kind of impress upon the listener here. Everything Eastwood says is cool. If Every he can't say line. something cool, he doesn't talk. Yeah, he, well, like, specifically, he was, like, the whole movie, he was trying to cut his lines down. He he wanted less lines all the time. He wanted to make them more impactful and more cool. So every time he spoke, it would be important. Uh, and man, did it ever work. Oh, my God. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, so in town, the Rojos have Silvanito strung up by his hands from, I think, the same, uh, like, yard arm or whatever uh, that uh, Eastwood grabbed when he was uh, being ridden out of town when the, when the mule was taken off. Oh, probably, yeah, actually. I think he's hanging from the same thing. Uh, and he sets off the dynamite just a little bit out of t- like, I think, over by the burnt uh, burnt up house. He sets off like the dynamite and there's just this huge blast and 
uh, a big plume of smoke and he just waits in the middle of the smoke and oh yeah like, right and then he does that thing where you come out of the fucking smoke and it starts out as a silhouette and then it's it's like who's it gonna be you know but you know who it is and it's just awesome it's just such a cool dramatic entrance and like he consciously made this entrance to appear ghostly and it's so cool because like you can recognize his silhouette distinctly because he because he has the poncho poncho. yeah oh i love that poncho it's such a cool poncho and and just like this sequence just the faces and the wind it's just a big extended sequence just faces real close up the the classic sergio leone style Mm -hmm. uh big face energy great effect towards at the end of the good the bad the ugly which we'll talk about at a later date i'm sure most certainly and and i feel like this is kind of a dry run for that big end sequence it does a lot of that same stuff we're cutting to see everyone not for reactions but just like the faces are the story you know it's it's not a reaction to anything going on we're just seeing them all play chess with one another so, uh, and so rojo starts shooting at him or starts shooting him. Yeah, not at him. He, he shoots him yeah. right in the heart because he doesn't miss. Eastwood falls down. And gets right gets back up. Gets right back up again. And he's, he's and like, he says, are you afraid, Ramon? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Like, this is such a huge gamble that he takes here, too. It is. But he, he has... Like, he's got Ramon's psychology down. He knows that he can't back down from his pronouncement about aiming for the heart. Yeah, because the whole time he's walking, he's getting shot, but gets knocked over. Sometimes he doesn't even fall over. Sometimes he just stumbles back. He's like, aim for the heart, Ramon. I thought you don't miss. <laughs> and Rojo or Ramon gradually gets unnerved by it, which is pretty yeah. great. Yeah, uh, and, and it's like I love it because like Ramon could shoot him in the head. He's good enough to do it. Hmm. But he doesn't. And yeah, he won't. He, he can't. He he's he's kind of locked into this. Uh and oh. finally, of course, Eastwood reveals uh he, he's been wearing this iron plate, uh, but then he removes it. Uh, and and like they all stare at each other for a moment, and there's like a really nice long beat. And then he, Eastwood just instantly fucking kills all of Ramon's men except Ramon, just leaving him alive. So at this point, I was counting how many shots he fired with his gun because I thought this was the movie with that line. Nope, nope, that's uh, that's Dirty Harry. Oh, that's not even this series. Nope, Dirty Harry. Uh, which oh, we should also do sometime because that series is bonkers crazy. <laughs> oh dang! The fifth one has Jim Carrey. What? Yeah, before he was well known. Also, Guns and Roses. Weird movie. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember who the villain is. It's someone. I think it might be Jeremy Irons. I don't know. Uh, Wild movie. Uh, but here, so. He gives Ramon an opportunity. He's like, all right, it's uh, just you and me now. He shoots the rope so Silvanito is uh, not hanging from his wrists anymore. And, like, has each of the, like, he gets 
he throws a gun and like they're both going to grab guns and reload and then draw. Yeah. Um, Which of course he beats Ramon to. Oh yeah, and, and what? Did it, but he, of course, he has to turn Ramon's line back on him. What did you say about a Winchester and a forty-five? <laughs> <laughs> the man with the forty-five ends up dead. Actually, you know what? This is the proof of the situation where that won't happen because he, he, the forty-five reloads a lot faster than the Winchester does. Oh yeah, uh, and he gets him, and there's a really cool POV shot of him dying. Like we get his dying POV of him staggering and falling. That's the end of Ramon Rojo and the Rojos and the not Baxters. Quite. And, oh, not no. quite because uh, Esteban is still there and he almost oh, gets shoot. the drop on I him. I forgot about Esteban <laughs> because because he's Esteban just doesn't... hiding up in a high window. Yeah, he <laughs> Esteban sucks. Yeah, he's totally lame. He's completely ineffective. And Silvanito takes out Esteban. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Silvanito's still got his rifle. And so that's that's pretty much it. Uh, uh, he leaves the gold for the cavalry, like the gold that was stolen. But, mm-hmm. you know, he still rides away with all of the money that the gangs gave him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it's funny because, like, what the... Like the guy at the very beginning, we didn't we didn't talk about this guy, but the guy who rings the bell is like, you're oh, either yeah. in this town, you're either rich, you either get rich or you get killed. This is a town you can make a lot of money or you can end up dead. Well, we we know what he did. Right, and also we see that guy again right here because he's ringing the bell joyously at the end. I'm just he's like, oh yeah, the, the gangs have been killed. Fuck yeah. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> yeah, so I'm just imagining, like, the cavalry, whoever ends up showing up, whether it's America or Mexico, I don't really know where this town is, I but whoever shows I think it's supposed to be the American cavalry, but we do know they're supposed to be showing up shortly. Oh, yeah. Well, somebody has to investigate that massacre from way back when. Yeah. The With the soldier. Yeah. So I'm just imagining, like, the the Americans or whoever is going to show up and be like, why does this town only have a population of three? <laughs> I Like, I assume there's a bunch of people who live in the outskirts who, like, now can populate the town since it isn't lorded over by two evil gangs. Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably what it is. They just stay inside. <laughs> They're like... Because, yeah, you you can't do anything in this town if you're not one of these gangs. Well, and that's sort of the classic iconography of the Western is that as soon as there's a gunfight, the streets are clear because everyone goes inside to hide from the gunfights. But in this town, there's just always a gunfight going on. So there's never anybody out there. It's just a ghost town. Yeah, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. I I still thought it was funny funnier if he killed everybody except for three people. <laughs> I mean, he did seem to take out most of the town. We we don't see anybody else ever. Yep. It's quite a massacre. Like, he personally kills, um, let's see, there's those four guys, and then there's those, there's, you know, six guys, or the, the five guys in the small house, and, uh, I mean, like, upwards so of 20 people. So he kills about, yeah, about 20 people, um, freaking. Ramon Which is kills just like a hell of a lot more than that. 
the 60-ish that Ramon was involved in killing. But, like, these are high numbers. These are, like, major spree killer numbers. <laughs> Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah. Which is, you can see why this, this was kind of controversial. Yeah, I guess back in the day, like, Westerns, you just had, like, your one showdown with your hero and your villain, not, like... Well, and yeah, usually, okay. usually your hero would be a lawman. Like, he would be the sheriff, and he's going after a gang who has done some kind of crime. So he's, like, legally going after them, which does right. sort of make it different. Because it, mass it, murder is okay if it's sanctioned by the government. I mean, it certainly, that, that's certainly uh, what Hollywood would have you believe in the 50s. <laughs> and the 60s. But yeah. Then the sixties, well, like especially the eighties, I would say. Oh, definitely say, in the eighties. Yeah, less so now. I I feel like that's something. All right, that Arnold, I, you're just gonna wave around a, an assault rifle, and anyone who falls over is we're just gonna charge him with something after the fact. Yeah, but I feel like that has kind of fallen out of fashion as being something acceptable, where where it's it's something that's usually a little bit more examined now, if not entirely. I mean, James Bond can still kill a lot of people and not really have a whole lot of uh, consequence for it. Apparently so like, Batman. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's great now. I, I'm, yeah. I'm glad that that's something Batman does now. <laughs> anyway, so that is uh, Fistful of Dollars, which just completely fucking rules. It rules. It's so good. Like, it, it holds up like, like even... It's a Western from like the 60s, but it holds up against today's blockbusters in terms of action. And like, oh, it's, it's so lean. It, yeah, it's just it feels modern. Yeah, like I feel like the, the modern blockbuster has gotten very flabby and it's so notable when you see it this way where like. Huh. And, and, and the, I guess the other thing about it is it does feel super iconic like everything feels so iconic. It's so beautifully shot. Uh, the way all of the characters interact is so amazing. The 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 score, of course, is yeah stellar. And, and just like that, just the sun beating down. the The Spanish landscape is a little bit different, so it, it doesn't quite look the way other westerns do. At least, you know prior to this because this was like there had been a couple italian westerns previous to this but this created the genre of like the italian western that like became the spaghetti western which is like the more violent kind of uh where you could do a lot more you could have much more anti-heroic characters see that's the thing i always thought like spaghetti western was like was like Slang for a goofy kind of western because it's like spaghetti. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I didn't it's, realize. It's it's because they got much more pasta sauce, you know, uh, all all that blood. Oh, oh yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he walks away from this town with at least a thousand dollars, which God knows what that translates into today. Too much money. Oh yeah, he's he's heading out of there with riches. Uh, this was a huge success for him, and he did mm-hmm. a good deed. <laughs> uh, well, I, I wouldn't even say I was about to say debatably, but yeah, not even debatably. The people he killed mostly needed to die, as um, well as varying like, degrees of needing to die. But right. they all kind of needed to at some yeah on some and, level. 
And like he did save that one family who who had been ensnared in this mess against, you know, any reason of their own. And he also came back to save uh, Silvanito, which he really didn't have to do. He really could have just left town at this point. Right. But he couldn't let the Rojos continue. Like at this point, it's like, nope. I I'm, I gotta take them all down. This is this is what I do now. And and he does kind of have the feeling of an of an avenging ghost. Almost. Oh, totally. Uh, and and there are a lot of points where they sort of give him that feel, and and that's really a big thing in spaghetti westerns too. Like there are ones where the gunman does turn out to be a ghost. Like there's a Django where Django ends up being a ghost. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. Because nice. the the Django series don't tend to, like. Well, like with these series, they're using the same character and they're kind of creating this setting and like they use all the iconography of the West, but they're not an ongoing series. They're just here is a tale of legend. You know, it's it's like the Italian sword and sandal movies like the Peplum. You know, they, this is what the gods were doing. OK, I, I kind of get it. So it's it's like, oh, I'm trying to think of an example right now. Like it's, the it's tough. Because like yeah. it's it's we're we're so used to continuity like the Marvel model has really conquered and and that started around this time but prior to that that wasn't as much of a thing usually you know you could just have a series that weren't really directly related I mean even the James Disney Bond cartoons there we go um, there is no Mickey Mouse continuity sometimes he's a detective and sometimes. He's a fireman, and sometimes he's a little shit, and sometimes yeah. he's a nice guy. True. It's whatever he needs to be for the story to work. Yeah, and and Django had some of that. Like you, you have the basic parameters of the character, and then you just find a situation to put them in. And that's even these these movies. Although though, although these movies have a bit more of a specific milieu, like they're right around the Civil War. They're specifically the American Wild West, and they've got. There, like, there are a few characters who recur. Like, first, this, like, we have the man with no name, but both the second and third have uh, the guy who plays the bad. Uh, Lee Van Cleef is in both of those. Oh, he's in the next one too. Yeah, as oh, I loved him in the good, the bad, the ugly. So he was good. the bad. He was the bad. <laughs> uh, he was bad. He. Yeah. And he, yeah, he's, he's he also could... the antagonist of for a few dollars more, basically. Well, actually, you know, I just kind of had like an interesting thought um, about how that could be like there's a legend of some guy just wrote rides into this town. We find out the name of the town. It's like San something. I can't remember. Yeah, I don't either. But there's a legend of a mysterious guy with no name who wrote in and saved this town there's a legend over there of a guy who rode in and faced off two other guys to get some gold wonder if they're the same guy yeah that's uh, that's kind of yeah that, that's basically so, how like, these work yeah it's, it's just they're they're icons of the west and and he's yeah, the man so, with no name so he could be anyone he could be every one of these yeah, tiny so he heroes could be, yeah, he, yeah he could be that guy he could not be that guy it doesn't actually matter Somebody did that and it doesn't matter. Right. And it's it's like 
and it using again the the Japanese uh, setting for it, it's it's much like the Japanese genre of heroic bloodshed. <laughs> it's it's actually oh this, yeah, actually this would this is <laughs> the killings in this are way more justified through a Japanese samurai lens than they would be through an American lens. Yeah, you can really see the samurai bones in this. And it's interesting how hugely influential it became on the Western genre. It merges the Western and the Eastern, you know? Yeah, because like, like I was saying at the beginning, this is basically a Zatoichi movie. Completely. They're, they're so, they're, so this is why, so this this one movie here is why is why samurai films and western films feel so similar even though they're should ought to be completely different basically like this had sort of been done before like the magnificent seven i think was before this and it's also a kurosawa remake but i think that one was made officially and, and not like uh quite the same but it also doesn't have quite the same feeling as the samurai film it's one that makes it more traditionally western yeah whereas this one this one feels like it but it's still like like it's iconic western even though it feels it's it's, it's weird i don't it's less know if i have the language for it it doesn't have the same western heroism it, it's not it, it's not the same golden boy hero uh, this John is a hero Wayne, who's that's painted. what i'm thinking yeah, this is not a John Wayne character. There's no way yeah, John Wayne could play this. I don't Wayne think John Wayne this. could play this. No, no way. Uh, and like, there were a couple other people that they tried to get for this before Eastwood. Like, they tried a few people, uh, but they just turned it down because it was just too violent or too weird. So like, Bronson was was one of the first people they asked, and he wasn't into it. I could see Bronson doing this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think Steve McQueen also turned it down. I can't really see McQueen doing this. I don't know him. I don't he's, think. I, I like McQueen, but he's kind of more of a nervous energy. Mm, that that wouldn't work. Yeah. I, uh, I just don't see anyone other than Eastwood in this role. I don't think it would have worked as well with anyone other than Eastwood. He is perfect in this. Like, I don't love Eastwood modern all that much mm. I mean, he, he's kind of gone downhill uh he, uh he has some he's become very far right and kind of crazy yeah uh but like that that's even in the special features one of the actresses they interview complains about how oh she really liked working with him but he's become very far right and she doesn't really want to associate with him anymore i was like that's kind of funny <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, that, this restoration, like I saw at the end of the, where you would normally see credits, but you don't because all the credits are in the beginning. Mm-hmm. They they say like this restoration was done really recently in 2014. Yeah, this is and a fairly it new is disc. Beautiful. Oh, it looks incredible. Uh, I have the old DVDs, uh, the the previous restoration, and they looked pretty good, but this looks next level good. Like it's so much better. Uh, really great disc. This is the Kino Lorber disc, which I should mention is incredibly stacked. A uh, couple really excellent commentaries. There's uh, a locations featurette where they show what all of the locations look now, look like Ooh. now. Most of them just look like empty fields, because <laughs> you know it was off in the middle of nowhere, so you can well, recognize yeah. some rocks and the mountains in the background. <laughs> 
Uh, most of the buildings do not exist anymore, but a handful of them do. Oh. Uh, and uh, you got a complete archive of all of the promotional materials. You got a bunch of interviews. Yeah, just incredibly stacked. So much stuff to look into. Very oh, cool. Very nice. Uh, so obviously that is replaced in the stacks. Uh, the we sort of is because you know this is the inactive stacks, but obviously this one we have for a few dollars more next there uh, available. Uh, so any last thoughts on that before we move on to our second film? Yeah. So I always thought that I guess I guess I did always think that westerns were all like goody goody lawman versus black hat like i even thought the good in the good the bad and the ugly was a good guy until i saw right. the movie so yeah I, I guess i guess these are the kind of westerns i'm into then and i didn't know totally. i was into them until you showed me the good the bad the ugly back <laughs> in the day yeah and it's the revisionist westerns and the spaghetti westerns i find to be quite a bit more interesting than like the classic good guy western. I think there are some very good ones there too, but well, I think it's America a harder tends to really romanticize that period, which yes, uh, there's a lot of de-romanticizing through the '60s and '70s that I find is the most interesting era for Western cinema, for sure. Hmm. All right. Well, I'll definitely definitely check out more of these. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I've got a lot of spaghetti westerns around, and I've got uh, a box set of them from Arrow that recently came out that we got to dig into soon. Ooh, nice, nice. Some more obscure ones. Uh, all right, so we'll head on into part two. All right, so on to part two, and we're talking about the 1985 Lamberto Bava film Demons, or Demoni, uh, the, the original Italian title. Now that title doesn't tell you a lot. There's, you know, there's demons, but where are the demons? They could be anywhere. What's, what are the demons doing? What's going on? I, I just, it seems so generic, but at the same time, I don't know. Well, it's <laughs> I, weird I, because I was going to make a point about the title, but I don't know what it was. They're they're demons, but they're also kind of like zombies. They're not very demony. No, they work a lot like. No, they work a lot more like zombies. I mean, um, there is it, one that's a demon, but yeah, just I mean, one. it could just be monsters. <laughs> it's it, th this movie could just be called All Hell Breaks Loose. <laughs> the, shit hits the fan. Yeah. The I, movie. And it's pretty nonstop. Uh, so, like, our our discussion of it won't be uh, in an, as much of a straight line as some of the others, because there's not really any way. Because this movie's not really in a straight line. Mm-hmm. So like it it opens up with our hero or our, our main our our well, obvious final girl final girl Cheryl. yeah well turns out yeah and <laughs> yeah uh so she's on the subway in Berlin and there's a creepy guy with a metal mask who is trailing her and her friend <laughs> or no no it's just her no, it's just she hasn't her. met up with her friend yet right yeah uh, and yeah, and trailing he's... her in the empty Berlin subway eerily empty uh just strangely totally empty for a while uh while he's stalking her and it's just this dude with a creepy chrome metal mask notably and there's like, like a half like mask half his face kind of like a phantom of the opera or the comparison i made was kano from mortal Kombat. 
it's very Kano-esque. Uh, and ultimately, he ends up just giving her a, this gold ticket to go see a movie at the Metropole. And then as soon as that happens, people come into the subway because the scary thing's over. Yeah, so he starts giving tickets to a bunch of other people. Uh, and it seems reasonably on the up and up, although it turns out it is not, of course, because that's what the movie's about. <laughs> uh, and she ends up like, oh, can I get another ticket? And she, Because she's meeting up with her friend Kathy. And the two of them meet up and they all go. But like Kathy is really afraid of horror movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They don't know at this point what kind of movie it's going to be. Yeah, and she's like, I hope it's not a horror movie. I hate them so much. Uh, and so they go to the theater, and immediately there's two guys who are into them, and that's sort of our core characters for most of the movie. But we do get to meet our zany, zany crew of uh, fellow dead meats. Yeah, we got a lot of people in this. There there are oh, a lot yeah, of other characters. These are just sort of our core ones that we actually learn about. Yeah, yeah. We've got, who do we have? We have uh, uh, Lucille Bluth and her husband. Um, he doesn't look like George Bluth, but, you know, she looks like Lucille Bluth. They're, they're the wealthy old people. Uh, we have a blind guy and I think his daughter yeah, his daughter, who is his guide, but she's really not into it, as it turns out. And her boyfriend, secretly, who's just kind of hanging around the edges. Uh, we have a pimp and his two uh, ladies. Oh, yeah. I, I love this guy, Tony. Uh, uh, played got... by Bobby Rhodes, who's just so much fun in this that he's also in the sequel, even though, spoilers, he does die in this. <laughs> uh, let's see, we have we have the usher who was like a creepy Santa Claus elf looking lady. She's very um, intense. She's got very yeah. intense eyes. Like, and I thought for sure she was going to be in on the evil, but she's apparently not. Yeah, she just, you know, has that look. And, like, because she's also associated with the business of the theater, and the theater itself does seem to ultimately be evil. So it seems Maybe sensible the that she would be bad. Demons? It could be. <laughs> I'm not sure because the demons get out, because we, you know, later on we learn that the demons are well beyond uh, the bounds of the theater by the end. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So. And I think there's also like an, another like there's a, a couple, a young couple as well. Oh, yeah. There's a makeout couple. Um, oh, right. They're just making out the whole time. That's right. Yeah. And there, there's uh, probably a handful others. There's there's a lot of people. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, you, you got to have a lot of potential dead mates. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So when everyone comes in, there's a big display outside. Uh, with props from the movie that they're going to be watching, which is like a dirt bike, a ninja sword, and a full version of the mask that the creepy guy in the subway was wearing. So uh, the blind guy recognizes that the mask is evil, but doesn't do anything with that information. Yeah, he just tells his daughter, like, don't touch it, don't touch it, <laughs> and then continues to touch it himself. Yeah, um... 
but more importantly, uh, one of the one of the pimps ladies uh, decides to put it on, and it cuts her on the face. Yeah, it gives just a little scratch, and uh, Tony's like, "Oh, that's what you get for messing around with stuff." <laughs> uh, and she's like, "Oh, I don't know why you have to be so mean about everything." <laughs> like they're they're all kind of cartoony. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. These aren't characters. They're um, they're character archetypes. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, so they all go in to watch the movie, and the movie is pretty violent. Like, there's a lot of gruesome stabbing in it, but it's it's just like these people wandering around some ruins. It, it's a very generic movie. They're looking for the tomb of Nostradamus for some reason, uh-huh. and they find... They they don't find like they they find the coffin, but instead of uh, a body, they just find this creepy mask. <laughs> and one of them obviously puts it on, just like the the prostitute did, and it scratches him just like it did her. And then he turns evil and starts to kill people. And she's like, oh, that's troubling. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and and that's when she starts to feel sick, and she goes to the bathroom, and there's this really gross, gushy oh. effects. Oh yeah, like the the thing. It it really reminded me of the uh, the little like razor barb shaving blood explosion thing from the first Tetsuo. Yeah, yeah, it's like quite it just like that. Just explodes on her face. Just so it, much it, liquid coming out. Ugh. And it's like this gross... What color was it? it, it it's not a normal color. I think for I, I think this time it was like a yellowish white. Like it was just yeah. a horrifyingly huge zit. But like it, it like pulses for a while. And then when it explodes, like the shape of her face changes and it's like all droopy from how much it's been stretched out by the thing. It's very oh, good. Gross effects. It's, it's so gross. I love it. And she's like screaming. And then she turns into a demon. Like her eyes go all red and uh, like, she's the only one who seems really demony through most of the movie. Well, I guess cause she's the one who wears the mask. She's the original demons. I, I so, because like think, later I don't think we're on, supposed to read that heavily into it, honestly. No, because like later on, we do also get someone transforming, like a demon comes out of someone as a husk later on after they take them out. Yeah, it like hatches out of her, which is really gross. Um, so I, I guess it's around this point that the other prostitute goes to find out what happened to her. Oh yeah, and then he sees her. She sees her in a bathroom stall, like faced away, and it's that whole like, kind of don't look at me type thing. Yeah. And then, and then she attacks her. Right, and she gets a really nasty scratch across her face, and oh, it's so brutal. It's it's gross. Like the the effects are all very effectively grody in this, uh, and she starts to transform tube very gradually. Uh, And so like, obviously any scratch from someone who is demonized will infect everyone else. So it's very much like a zombie setup. Oh yeah. It's, but very rapid. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's uh, like this could this is basically a zombie movie with a few uh, with a few just added touches. Yeah, it's kind of an accelerated zombie movie. And then a, a zombie movie that's taking place in a haunted theater. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so, like, she ends up behind the movie theater and she's screaming in pain as she's turning into a demon. Uh, and it's sort of merging with the screaming going on in the actual movie. Oh, yeah. And so that. And then finally somebody, I can't remember who, notices, like, hey, there's somebody behind the screen there. I think it's maybe one of our, our main characters. I think it's one of the two main girls. It was oh, like, that. those are be. real screams. Those aren't just from the movie. There's someone behind the screen. Uh, oh, and that's just the surround sound. You Didn't you hear the beginning? <laughs> and, like, she's falling against the screen and we we see the screen that's that like it should be bulging out but anytime we see the rest of them that's not happening so they're not seeing it yeah uh i don't know uh but ultimately she falls through the screen and then turns into a demon right in front of everybody so then obviously uh all hell breaks loose it's right around here that i completely lost track of what was happening and who was doing what and just sat down and enjoyed a visual ride. Like it's so action packed and it's just like, what can we do with a whole bunch of people who can turn into demons? And it's like, they, they pick off everybody gradually over like the course of, I don't know, a solid 30 or 40 minutes. They just pick off everybody down to those original four people that we were introduced to. Yeah. But it, yeah, there's like this whole thing. They try to get out through the front doors, but find out like they tear the doors down only to find out that it's been concreted over. Yeah, the doors no longer exist as doors. Like it's now a wall, the place where they came in. Yeah. Which is really cool. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that's awesome. Like just a, a very frightening haunted house idea, just that somehow they're trapped in here and and there's never any sort of explanation for anything it's just suddenly the world has gone crazy uh somehow yeah somehow and so like everything goes crazy uh i i think uh Um, at some point where there's these cokeheads who are like who are driving to the theater but they keep not going there because they keep getting distracted by cocaine related shenanigans. Right. So like we're introduced to them probably a good four or five scenes before they get to the theater. Yeah. So like this whole sequence where everybody's getting picked off is interspersed with all of these shots of, or all of these sequences of these four punks who are like sniffing Coke out of a coca-cola can like they have a coca-cola can filled with cocaine and are sniffing it through a straw in their car while they're driving around berlin (laughs) (laughs) and like they they're sort of headed to the theater and just like doing a bunch of other stuff and it's gradually showing them heading there for quite a while and then they run into cops just outside the place and they try to break into the building and they're the, the building lets them in. It, it oh, wants yeah, the door them. just opens up for them. 
Yeah, and it also lets one of the demons out when they get in. Oh yeah, that's and oh okay. yeah, that's right. Okay. And it takes out the cops who are chasing them, and then we don't see anything of the outdoors for quite a while. But yeah, like, we're, we're we're trapped in the theater again. Right, and so leading up to all that, we just everybody is picked off. We see uh, first the pimp takes charge. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I thought he. Because I thought he was going to be the, no, I'm not bit. I didn't get bit. I'm not going to turn into a zombie. Ugh. I thought right. he was going to be that guy. He but does no, seem he's like actually, he's, he, he's he does got, seem like, like he would be that guy. <laughs> yeah, but he, he's got like plans. He barricades uh, the balcony. Um, but I, Yeah, he, he's the only one stepping up right now, really. Right. And he's very logical the whole time. Uh, because so at, at some point before this, uh, the the blind guy's daughter had snuck off to go make out with her boyfriend, leaving him alone, leaving the, the blind guy alone. Yeah. But then uh, the first prostitute who turned into a demon uh, comes and strangles both of them with a cord from a curtain. <laughs> but oh, like, yeah. While they're but kissing. Like, at, so strangles wraps the one cord around both their necks and strangles them that way. Yeah, and just has a hilarious expression on her face, just like gleefully laughing while <laughs> choking these people who are making out. Uh, and notably, the first couple major demons have like fluorescent green goo coming out of their mouths all the time, too. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> really great visual. Uh, yes. So... So it's it's after that, like, they, they head up into the balcony and they find the dead body of the girl, as well as, like, the blind guy. I think his eyes have been ripped out at this point. Oh, yeah. His eyes have been ripped out, but he's fine otherwise, I guess, at this point. Like, I Is wonder... He still talking to them yeah i wonder if he can't become a demon because he's blind and it's the movie that kind of like you you have to be able to see the movie to be but infected if that were true there's oh, right, a lot of people yeah that, that doesn't yeah. work because there's a whole weird thing about the movie being what actually causes it, because uh, there's a sequel to this, and it involves the movie being televised and a whole bunch of people becoming demons. <laughs> but we'll do that one at another point as well, because it rules as well. Uh, but yeah, I don't know, because he doesn't seem to ever become a demon. I don't think we ever see him as a demon. No, I think he just gets killed somehow. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, but like he's he's like not he doesn't want them to throw the body into the pit like they they've been clearing out they they barricaded the balcony and they've been throwing all the chairs down to just like clear the space uh and he finds the body he's like this body is just gonna get up and kill us i'm going to throw it over the edge someone come and give me a hand and like the old guy won't let him right so of course what everybody thinks is going to happen happens. Right. But like, it's, it's weird that no one else will help him as well. Like even our, our main guys, he's like, come help me. And they're like, no, it's not right. We, we should still have some civility. And then immediately, you know, turns into a monster and gets him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so like, it's not really fair to him, huh? <laughs> yeah. He was working yeah. hard at it. He, he was, he had the right ideas. 
Yeah, yeah, the pimp should have should have lived. If, he really should have. But humans are dumb. Right. But and then of course when this happens everything goes crazy cuz also oh right the 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 boyfriend first uh, the boyfriend that she was making out with uh is hung. Like that's that's when everything goes crazy when when they start like heading out of the theater is uh the demon uh wraps the rope around like the curtain rope around his neck and hangs him from the balcony. Right, right, right. And I think the pimp wanted to like chop down the rope so that he couldn't climb up and kill them. Yeah, well, I think he was uh, – he wasn't really getting to that point. He was mostly dealing with the girl and, and wanting to throw that body over. And then the guy did climb up and bite him, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is cool. I, I really like that he climbed up the rope that he was hung by to bite him because he's zombie slash demon now. Yeah. There, there's a lot of creative stuff w- with this in, in the way the, the demons and the zombies both attack and are uh, dispatched. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I don't remember how anyone else died until we get to our last four. Yeah, basically, like everybody gets taken out uh, over a, a course of like about half an hour, I'd say. Uh, yeah, about that. Um we have like zombies in the smoke in the theater, really cool there's looking smoke, of course and they have glowing eyes yeah, oh yeah that's right that looks so cool it actually kind of so it's just like glowing eyes silhouettes coming at them from just smoke in just like theater hallways i uh-huh. i think that's really cool the setting of the theater for a horror movie is one i really like there's a lot of horror movies set in theaters but this is Maybe the most fun. This is definitely up there. One of the very best. The architecture of the inside of this theater, like how it's laid out, how the doors and rooms and stuff make no sense. And I love it. It's all this crazy maze. And and intentionally so. It feels claustrophobic, it, but it also always looks really cool. Mm-hmm. This is a really cool looking movie. Oh, it's great looking. Uh, really great sense of visuals. Obviously, Mario or Lamberto Bava is the son of Mario Bava, uh, and he worked with Mario Bava in his films like right back to the '60s. Uh, and Bava is super well known for great lighting, just beautiful lighting in his movies. And mm-hmm. this totally has that influence. And like, it's produced by Dario Argento, who is also known for really expressive lighting and visuals. So. It has them in spades. It looks fucking great all the time. It, yeah, it really does. For it, it feels like a B movie, but it looks like it looks like an art thing. Yeah, it, it's it's got a real art house quality to it, especially just how expressive the lighting always is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how is it that like we we, we end up whittled down to just uh. The, the the final two, I can't remember how well, the last two get taken out, well, like the happens, other two. Um, so the one guy, he gets bit or scratched or something, and he's like, you got to kill me, man. I'm going to turn into one of them. Yeah. Dude, you got to kill me with that samurai sword. Oh, man, that's the best way to go. It's got to be the sword, dude. <laughs> Basically. He's right. He's right. And, and they won't do it. They won't so, do it. So he Not becomes fair. full demon. 
So I, I think I guess then they kill him with the sword. Yes, I think then they do. And I, I don't remember how the other girl gets taken out either. Because it's got, right around the same time. She got scratched. I I can't remember how she got hit or right. if she got scratched or bit. I remember what happens after that. Uh, she's not feeling so good and she goes down on all fours. Right. And a full grown fucking demon with the head from the mask so this is obviously the main demon Mm -hmm. uh, comes hatches out of her back like it was an egg it's so weird looking and really gross yeah and and it's like it's it's coming out of her as if she's just a portal because like Uh it couldn't physically fit in the space that it's coming out of it's just like not at all exploding out of her back really cool gross effect so we're we're down to our last two people. We've got George and Cheryl, uh, and they, George gets the motorcycle and sword props. <laughs> and he just he goes into the theater uh, with her riding on the back of the bike, just going riding on top of the chairs, just going around in circles, doing laps, just chopping off zombie heads left right and center he does like three or four or maybe even five laps around the theater he takes out a lot of demons it's amazing like such a cool sequence just that that we've gotten to a point in this movie where it's so amped up that it's not even surprising that there's someone like riding a dirt bike in a movie theater like with a ninja sword taking out tons of demons He's like, oh, yeah, I mean, this is appropriate escalation. Oh, yeah, it's just like, it's it's just really hard to describe how much shit hits the fan in those 20 minutes that everybody's getting taken out. It's, it's so amped up. <laughs> but what is surprising is when a helicopter crashes through the ceiling. Yeah, like he's almost got all of them and then like he crashes the motorbike and they're in a little bit of danger and then they hear just this noise like what the hell is that and then boom a helicopter falls through the roof (laughs) (laughs) did not see that coming no and and Uh, the people driving the helicopter are demons which uh is a very troubling sign but they're like okay well at least they made a hole that we can get out of now uh, and they find a grappling hook in the in the helicopter, which is pretty helpful too. Oh yeah, that's right, the grappling <laughs> hook. Oh, you gotta have a grappling hook. Yeah, and so they they grappling hook up the up to the roof, and on the roof, the guy from the subway is there to fight them. Oh yeah, right, with, and with the, the metal mask. Up. Yeah, yeah. So the somebody I can't remember who it was ends up just crushing his neck in between like a bar and then like impaling him on some rebar yeah i don't know how to describe what he does what they do it's weird because like they get a really long pipe and like they get it on the back of his neck and they just kind of like lever him against a piece of rebar and like get it stuck into his brain it's it's quite brutal very cool though uh and then they climb off the roof and find that like just Berlin has fallen to demons like completely. 
Yeah, they, they get on a jeep with these uh, random survivors. As these two kids with guns and, like, their grandpa. And, like, these yep. kids are crack shots. Like, they have... They, they've been training for this. These must be, like, survivalist children. Yep. Or maybe they were in the theater for a lot longer than they thought. Could be. Who Could knows? Be. It's Time not explained because we're almost at the end of the movie. It's also not explained in the second one. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, oh, oh, uh, one thing, though, the guy got a huge gash taken out of his arm before he went on his dirt bike rampage. So we're just waiting for him to turn into a demon. No, no, time. not him. It, it was Cheryl. No, but he did get a gash, oh, though. Oh, so right. Yeah, he we're did. We're waiting too. for him. Yeah. But the credits roll as they're driving away in the Jeep, and then they stop for a second. We see Cheryl just scratching the back of her neck, and then she turns around to face the camera, and she's got demon teeth. Yeah. And then I think it's the little girl or is it the little boy shoots her and they drive away. And then the credits finish rolling. Yeah. Way cool. So cool. Uh, like it's it's hard to like get into the, the deep specifics of this because it's just so kinetic. Like it, it's just everything happening at once. It's very heavily intercut. It's so well edited in terms of just, it's always totally coherent. You always know what's going on and where everyone is, but like trying to piece it together afterwards is goddamn impossible. I don't even remember what happened to the cokeheads after they got into the theater. Well, like they're turned into demons instantly. Like they're, they get turned into demons pretty much immediately. Cause I remember specifically there's, there's a very, iconic shot of uh uh george taking out the lady one with the sword and because she's very distinctive looking with the big right. tall punk hair and everything and the the right, leather right. the all leather outfit but yeah it just it fucking rules it's it's so non-stop it just yeah it it, it just keeps going just keeps on rocking keeps uh, happening there's no there's no rest there's no breathing room it's just demons okay yeah. you know what that's why that's why it's called demons that's just what the movie is it's just there's demons and notably also a really rad soundtrack both just like the score for it and the use of like existing 80s rock songs is pretty mm -hmm. fun mm -hmm. uh but yeah i guess that's pretty much it uh n not a whole lot more to say about it but like see it this movie is so rad it's such a great time it's a lot of fun uh all right a any last thoughts before we head on into part three um uh, yeah no um definitely want to check out the sequel to this at some point absolutely probably very soon probably all right Okay, so on to our third part where we're going to talk about some movies watched in the past week and decide what we're going to watch next week. Uh, and I watched a decent amount of stuff. Uh, so first up is Death Whistles the Blues, uh, which is a noir film from Jess Franco. Uh, I think I've watched like a Jess Franco movie every week for the past like month. I've talked about him here and there. He's he did Oasis of the Zombies and Virgin Among the Living Dead. Oh yeah, yeah. His stuff is very dreamy, very disjointed. This is one of his 
earliest films and it's him doing like a film noir movie. But it's still that same weird disjointed dreaminess. Uh, this is very visually striking. It's kind of cool to see him working in black and white. I find his black and white stuff to be, I don't know, I, it, it seems to have been a better format for his visual style. Not that he doesn't use color well, it's just things don't stand out as much. So this is very visually striking, but not all that coherent <laughs> like, it's it's this it's a very elaborate plot like there's it's there's these jazz musicians and there's a smuggling plot and they murder this one guy and then there's this very elaborate revenge plot that like carries across three countries oh wow uh, but it's great it's really cool looking it's sort of primarily set in new orleans uh after like that's sort of where everything concludes uh i don't know it's it's really cool it, it it's great looking if nothing else uh and i also watched another just franco noir called rififi in the city which isn't quite as disjointed it's it's a bit more of a standard noir plot line but it's kind of interestingly dystopian looking like it has this sort of political noir feel and like there, there's this really great shot at the beginning where it shows this guy's uh, the the poster he's using to run for governor, which is just like a big brother type, just him, this huge big face with him pointing at you, uh, which is creepy enough. And then like it, it's, it, it uh, zooms out and we see just like rows and rows of these along a, a roadside and there's just nothing else. <laughs> Oh God! Okay. <laughs> oh, weird. Very dystopian, and it's almost a giallo too, because like there are slasher elements to this movie, despite it being a political noir. Uh, and these two movies, like they they were so impressive that Orson Welles hired him to work on one of his movies. Oh, cool! Wow. Uh, and one of his big movies, Chimes at Midnight, his his big '60s Shakespeare film. Uh, so those were both pretty cool. Right on. Uh, next up, Shatter Dead, which this is another crazy shot on video movie. I've been kind of getting into a bunch of SOV lately. And so the plot with this one is that people stop dying or they die, but like they don't stop living. <laughs> oh, like basically just their bodily functions stop when you die, but otherwise you still kind of just keep going on. It's just your bodily functions don't work anymore. So you don't eat or sleep or anything or like have any bodily functions, but you also can never heal. So no matter, oh. so no matter what happened to kill you, uh, you're still going to be around just with that going on. In your so if, if, if you got your head cut off, you're just going to stay without a head. Yeah, or you're going to just be a head. Or just uh, be a head, yeah. And also because nobody dies anymore and all of the dead have risen, society completely collapses because like, the government just is totally overwhelmed by this influx of a whole new class of people that have no legal status. And it's weird because it's, it's a zombie movie. like It's the dead walking, but they're not like trying to eat people or anything it's just really moody and gross and like they're everyone's pretty depressed <laughs> like there's just 
like this society has fallen because there's just no way to work at it. So everyone's just sort of in the end times. And there's like this cult that are going around uh, that, you know, feel that uh, th- this is just the the way the end, the world is supposed to end. Uh, and there, there are like crazed gangs of people who go around shooting the few living people so that they go into the afterlife with horrible uh disabilities that they have to take into their permanent afterlife where they're still alive wow, uh, it's it's very upset yeah it's it's an extremely nihilistic film holy shit uh, but it's quite interesting like for a shot on video thing it's like extremely ambitious and and has a lot of ideas but it's intense and it's very gross at times like even for being like obviously the effects are no fi like it it was right <laughs> yeah but yeah no it's 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 quite something i i was surprised by it uh what i was also surprised by next who killed captain alex who <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Wakaliwood super action, uh, Agfa set. I watched both of these who killed Captain Alex and bad black. Uh, so Wakaliwood is, it's, it's just this really small town in Uganda and they're, you know, the, these people got a camcorder and they just like the whole community got together and made action movies that are like heavily influenced by like Schwarzenegger's 80s stuff. They're, they'll yell commando a lot. Uh, <laughs> And these movies have VJ Emmy, who is the movie's narrator slash hype man. Uh, VJ stands for Video Joker. So it's kind of like riffing the movie, but also hyping up the movie while you're watching it. Okay, that sounds cool. So like, you know, training montage. You say, the movie is on! Training! <laughs> just random, randomly in any like action scene. Movie! <laughs> You are watching Who Killed Captain Alex? Wakaliwood, and then he'll just like spout a whole bunch of Ugandan, just completely untranslated, with no no subtitles. <laughs> it's so great. Uh, so Who Killed Captain Alex is about like there's the this guy gets shot. Who's like there's a rival gang. I like I don't even know how it works. Captain Alex is with the military, and they're in this small town, and. There's a gang who are against him, and I don't know, they send someone to kill him, but someone else shoots him, and they don't know who did it. And then... It was Maggie Simpson. It might have been Maggie Simpson. We never do find out who did it. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. Uh, but, like, he's... Like, the the, the main guy from the, the, the bad gang is trying to get his brother out of prison who's been arrested by captain alex and so that that's what starts this whole battle uh and it's it's completely ridiculous the effects are it's it's very much after effect stuff there's a whole part where there's a guy in a helicopter and he bombs kampala uganda uh and it's him like they, they just have the effects of him the the helicopter is is just green screen so like it's okay. just inserted into it and it just hits buildings and they just crash down like, but they're just like photos of buildings. It's awesome. I <laughs> love everything about it. Uh, and then bad black is this is a little bit later. It's like a few years later, but same people a little bit more of a recognizable plot. You have this guy who 
gets into just a huge massacre at the beginning uh, after being chased down by police after saving someone from the hospital, I want to say. It's hard to say what exactly it's supposed to be because it's just a cardboard box with a window. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, eventually it, it like jumps 20 years in the future and we catch up with this group of orphans who we saw in the beginning. And it's them as this tough gang who are running the Kampala ghetto. And the, the lead girl is bad black. Uh, and meanwhile, there's this American Doctors Without Borders guy who's trained by like a six year old boy who is... I I think he's he's called Wesley Snipes uh, and he just trains him how to uh, do proper battle and he likes slap him around and stuff. So, so, so hold on. Sorry. The six year old guy named Wesley Snipes is training a doctor how to fight. Yes, correct. So he can okay. battle the, the evil gangs. <laughs> the rules like both of them are so rad They're It's just like a pure community effort. Like they're they're just. Such joy. <laughs> Sounds like so much fun. They are. Uh, next up, not so much fun. John Carpenter's Village of the Damned. This might uh, be his yes. first movie. It might be. Really? It, so have you ever seen the original Village of the Damned? I don't know if I have. I so it's like so. It's it's like there's it, it came out in like 1960. And it's a British movie about uh, all of these. Th this town has a blackout. Everybody in the town blacks out. And when they wake up, uh, like, I think eight different women are pregnant. And they all give birth to these creepy kids. And these creepy kids are actually aliens. And they have psychic abilities. And they make people kill themselves or just, like, cause various elements of mayhem. And this movie is a pretty straight remake of that, except it adds a bunch of stuff at the start. And the stuff at the start is probably the most interesting stuff uh, because, you know, the original movie came out in 1960 and you couldn't even talk about pregnancy. You couldn't say the word pregnant in a movie. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. Yeah. So this movie spends a lot of time on the pregnancies and the trauma of that as you know, just all of these people suddenly becoming pregnant. One of them was a virgin. And it's just like this whole disturbing thing. And they go through like them deciding to keep them because of terrifying nightmares that the aliens sent them. And all of that stuff is pretty interesting. But then once it kind of settles into the remake, it sort of stops being all that compelling. Part of it's that it's Kirstie Alley is fucking terrible in this. She's so bad as oh, no. the, the government agent who's kind of keeping track of them. Uh, and Christopher Reeve is in it. it this was his last uh, movie before his accident. Oh, oh. And he's not very good in it either. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, like, he's got some moments. There are some really good moments near the end, but he's not great. I don't know. It's it's really weird. It has Carpenter's style much more than like Memoirs of an Invisible Man did, but it just doesn't fit together. It just feels bland and lazy. It just doesn't feel committed. You know, Christopher Reeve, just from like one gif I saw, I never saw any of his Superman movies, but he's the only one who's made me believe that 
you could not realize he was Clark Kent. He's incredible as Clark Kent and Superman. And I think he's the only actor who's been great at both of them. Like, I think some people can do a pretty good Superman or a pretty good Clark Kent. It's very rare that someone can do both of them great. And he was the best. Mm. Like, his Superman movies are fantastic. Uh, they're, they are really great. I'll have to watch them at one of these at yeah, one point. But we'll, apparently we'll have... I don't have to watch Village of the Damned. Probably not. It's pretty okay. lame. Uh, just very lesser, uh, lesser Carpenter. Just doesn't... Mm. It, it does not feel like he showed up for this one. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Next up, ticks, <laughs> which is really Spoon! fucking. <laughs> it's ooh, it's gross. So this is a horror movie about mutant ticks. Oh uh, no! They, so some people have been growing backwoods marijuana, and they're using super steroids to grow it, and some ticks get huge and mutant and like the size of rats on it and that can really you have to legalize it that's why you have to legalize it uh so like the the ticks get into anything like they they just like when they get into someone you know they get into you (laughs) and you get all so like one of the people the first person who gets infected is the pot grower clint howard the great clint howard oh okay uh, and like they're all growing in his shack and he like falls like he gets attacked by one and he ends up on his back and then like a cocoon of a thing like lands in his face. And like oh. when we catch up with him later, he like uh, he he's a shock scare because he runs into a girl and he's like, I'm infested and his face is all bulging from one in his head. Ugh. <laughs> Uh, Alfonso Ribera is one of the main characters in this. Uh, uh, who's that? Sorry. You may know him as Carlton from oh. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Ooh, okay. In this, he plays a tough L.A. gangster. <laughs> I'm sorry. When you say that now, I'm just imagining Carlton playing a tough L.A. gangster. And that is exactly what you get. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Basically, uh, he's also an aspiring rapper. Oh, it's great. Uh, he gets it unbelievably hard in this movie. It's like the ticks had it especially out for him. Oh man, uh, it's fun, but it's incredibly gross. Like it's really, really yucky effects. Mm, all right. <laughs> Uh, next up is Nothing Underneath, uh, which is an 80s giallo. Uh, and I haven't seen a lot of them from the 80s. They're they're interesting to see here because like they're so I've got two of them here. Nothing Underneath and Too Beautiful to Die. Uh, and because Too Beautiful to Die was marketed as the sequel to Nothing Underneath. But again, like we were talking about with Italian cinema, these are Italian films. It's actually totally unrelated but they oh. kind of have similar plots. <laughs> hmm. All right. So so the first one, we have a Yellowstone Park Ranger, uh, and he's the twin brother to this fashion model who's doing a shoot in Milan. And he has this psychic flash that his sister is being attacked by someone with a pair of scissors. But then he sort of loses track of her and he can't figure it out. So he goes to Milan to investigate and he can't find a body or anything. But like 
something's amiss. Like he he can't get a hold of anyone. Uh, and he meets up with the chief of police, which is Donald Pleasance. Oh. Uh, and the they, you know, investigate the case together. There's an amazing sequence with him and Donald Pleasance at an Italian Wendy's pasta bar. So it's like a Wendy's, but it's a pasta slash salad bar. And Donald Pleasance is just eating dry spaghetti. <laughs> it's wearing like he's he's got like an unraveled Wendy's napkin as a huge bib. It's like I can't explain what about it is so baffling to me, but just like the whole scene, my jaw was open. <laughs> it's like, what am I seeing here? Uh, it's it's great. It's the the basic plot is that there was this inciting incident at an after hours model party, and then all of the models who were at this party are getting killed off, and uh, they're trying to figure out who or why and what what started all of it. Because uh, Giallo is typically uh, uh, a who done it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so. And while he's investigating all this, uh, the bears are in Yellowstone Park stealing the picnic baskets. <laughs> That's Jellystone. <laughs> oh, you're right. It is, too. I... <laughs> Close, though. It's yeah. supposed to be Yellowstone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next one is so Too Beautiful to Die is the quote unquote sequel. And it's basically a remix. It's the same concept. There there was this after-hours model party in Milan that went wrong, uh, and people have to get revenge. Uh, this one is dumber. Like, okay. a good degree dumber, but it's also just incredible looking, has a really rad soundtrack, uh, and it's just crazy. Like, it's it's all of these sequences of supermodels dancing to pop songs, for like 35 minutes and then suddenly there's a murder. <laughs> okay. Uh yeah, and like the kills are pretty fun. It's it's all pretty wacky. Uh this one does the second one doesn't have any psychic powers involved in it, but yeah, it's it's a good time. Both of them were really fun. Nice, nice. Uh next after that is The Last Matinee, uh which is a quite recent giallo. Uh, quasi or giallo slasher. This is another movie set in a movie theater. Uh, and this is the first Uruguayan movie I've ever seen, I think. Oh. Uh, so it's just a really rainy day in, uh, uh, what's the capital of Uruguay? I think that's where this is. Uh, I, I can't remember it offhand. <laughs> I should know. Uh, but, Anyway, like there, it's just this really rainy day, and so a bunch of people are just in this kind of obscure, rundown movie theater. And there's only like a handful of people there to see this really shitty movie called Frankenstein: Day of the Beast. This looks like a very absurd, gory version of the Frankenstein concept. Uh, apparently, a real movie also included on the disc. I'll have to watch it on its own sometime because it looks <laughs> very bad. Uh, but like, it's very sparsely populated and. Also, a serial killer has decided to come in and get out of the rain, but kill all of the people in the theater during the showing. Because so that's, that's the good way for a serial killer to not get caught. Right. Then again, real serial killers are that stupid sometimes. 
Yeah, and this one's pretty over the top. He's a guy who collects eyes. Oh, God, okay. <laughs> a theme killer. Yeah, and it's very over the top. Uh, it's incredible looking. Like, again, very, very visually impressive. And I would say that's its strongest uh, element. It just, like, always looks great. It's it's very, very visual. Uh, cool score. Very impressive gore effects. I think the problem, though, is it's too nasty. Like, the violence in it is really extreme like the the gore is is quite heightened and sort of out of proportion to the tone of the rest of it like the tone is kind of light except for the kills which are just like gruesome Mm, like they're interesting they're they're not like extremely cruel or anything like they're not like excessive or or taking a long time that like they're not like slow and torturous but they are gruesome every time Mm, all right uh, and last one is Zachariah, which is an acid western. I don't know if you've ever seen an acid western. Well, considering I've only seen two westerns and you know what they are. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> the, the acid western are, are like the end of the 60s, start of the 70s, and definitely emanating out of like the big spaghetti western movement and like the more... Uh, the more adult Western, whereas like the previous Westerns tended to be fairly heavily kid oriented with like the big heroic guys. So the acid Western is like the hippie Western where, you know, made for and by hippies, uh, which, you know, could be a problem, but this one is really interesting. I was really taken with this. Uh, so it's, it's based on Siddhartha, uh, an important Buddhist text. Oh shit. <laughs> Uh, and our main guy is basically Siddhartha and his best friend is, uh, his Govinda. And he, he gets a mail order gun and he learns how to use it. And the two of them decide to go out and become gunfighters. Uh, and like in the original Siddhartha, it's, they, the, the two of them go out and they, uh, meet Buddha, but, uh, Siddhartha decides that Buddha's, uh, teachings do not sufficiently, uh, take care of individual differences. So he wants to go out and make his own way, whereas Govinda stays uh, and remains with him. In this, they decide to become gunfighters, of course. Uh, and they hook up with uh, the biggest gunfighter, uh, who's played by classic uh, jazz drummer Elvin Jones. And, you know, he's introduced, he shoots down a guy, and then he does like this intense two minute drum solo. <laughs> there's a lot of music in this like the the music for some reason is diegetic so like because this is an acid an acid western one of the big things about that is anachronism so you have rock bands in this and they all play themselves oh cool so like country joe and the fish and the james gang and uh white lightning uh, and a couple others. So, like, each place they go, they're, like, all of the different gunfighters have their own rock band. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, first, they they join up with the Crackers, who are Country Joe and the Fish. Uh, and they just, like, will play a rock show at one end of town while they rob things at the other end. Uh, it's that beautifully sounds- shot. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, that sounds like fun. It's really fun. Uh, and. It's pretty psychedelic, of course. It's really beautifully shot, uh, really great cinematography. And it's it's interesting. So, like, our our main guy, Zachariah, he 
once they go to this main gunfighter guy, he feels like this isn't where he wants his life to go. He He's troubled by the violence of this. So he sets out on his own and he sort of takes a path of peace. And it's just sort of contrasting the two of them living these different lives. It's very interesting. All right. Uh, so that's all of the new picks. Uh, what do you figure of those for our second picture next week? Oh, good question. You've sold me on basically all of them except for <laughs> Village of the Damned. Yeah, it's it's a pretty solid batch. These were all really good. Like every uh, one of them is a recommend, other than Village of the Damned, honestly. Yeah, I uh, God, I don't even like well, at first. I thought I was questions, perhaps. Sorry? <laughs> some yeah, follow-up. Yeah, questions. yeah. Because um, at first I was thinking I was just gonna go with uh, Captain Alex, but now you kind of got me thinking of the Donald. Ple- is Donald Pleasance having fun? He is definitely having fun. There's not as much of him as you might want, but like he's definitely having a good time and he's really weird in it. Like he's just playing this Italian chief of police who seems totally out of his depth. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Mm, uh, okay, how about. Oh gosh. Are there any of these that I can kind of watch and maybe like turn my brain off and still enjoy hmm, i mean What's probably the... a few of them yeah probably okay um which of these is oh my gosh i don't which of these is the most like what do you think i'm gonna have the most to say about actually hmm, because most i'm kind of leaning because from your description, I think I might have a lot to say about Zachariah. Yeah, I'd, I'd say there there would be a lot to talk about there for sure. Um, I, I'd say probably either the like the Wakaliwood ones, either of those, Shatterdead or Zachariah. Shatterdead definitely has more nastiness to it than the others. Okay. Like that one is like there are things in it that are like troubling <laughs> but it's also fascinating all right so of those ones what what would you say is the most fun well of those who killed captain alex slash bad black like I, it's hard to say which of those but like i i would say just watch uh, both of them because they're pretty short and they're both like a complete blast <laughs> oh heck let's do that let's do a double feature for our second feature all right, cool. Because, like, it's they're so watchable. Like, y- you will not be bored. <laughs> Just right. kinetic action. So, yeah, but, uh, who killed Captain yeah. Alex and Bad Black? But honestly, all of these are kind of on my list of something to check out at one point. Yeah, some of these are definitely going to have to hit the uh, inactive stacks so we can get into some of them, because wild stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. So now, next, we talk about the new stuff that has been revealed by these, uh, by these Uh, being removed. The original stacks. My old friend, it's been a very long time. It's it's been like a good six or seven weeks. (laughs) Something like that, yeah. So there's a lot of changes beyond these, but we'll we'll just talk about the ones newly added this week. Uh, a lot of stuff was moved around, obviously, during uh, the the Halloween month. Uh, but new stuff this week that's uh, added 
Uh, first is, uh, what is this here? If you meet Sartana, pray for your death. <laughs> Which is another spaghetti western. This is the first in a pretty long-running spaghetti western series of the Sartana series. Uh, oh, is this uh, is this the one where Lee Van Cleef is quote unquote the hero? Uh, that's actually is... Sabata. Oh, okay. <laughs> Very similar. I think Lee Van Cleef might be in some of these, uh, but this guy is very lee van cleef-esque uh he he's another one he's kind of like a wild west dracula you know he's really suave and debonair and well-dressed but kind of a bad guy and he's usually going to kill people and he definitely has that lee van cleef black hat guy look right right uh, so that's the first of that section uh i i've i've got a box set of the complete sartana there cool uh, next up, All About Alice, which is the gay girls riding club version of All About Eve. So we we actually watched one of the gay girls riding club movies uh, when we hung out on the weekend. Oh, yes. Um, oh, I've forgotten the name. <laughs> what Really Happened to Baby Jane, which is like a half hour short version of uh, them doing what happened or whatever happened to Baby Jane. Right, right. Um, and it, it this now this was uh, we, this was uh, basically a bunch of uh, drag actors, I believe. Yes. Uh, so th- this is kind of like a drag club, and okay. they made a handful of movies, uh, and all of them play in drag, and they're just doing parodies of popular, currently campy uh, Hollywood films. So, you know, All About Eve is like a big camp classic. I think both All About Eve and Whatever Happened to Baby Jane are both big Betty Davis roles, notably. Okay. Uh, and yeah, so Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, it really fun. I, I especially like the moments when the Joan Crawford character becomes just a dummy that's thrown around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, really good time. It, You've never actually seen whatever happened to Baby Jane, so you, you'd get less out of it, obviously. But yeah, it's it's very fun if you're familiar with the movie. Uh, so All About Alice is the other one in that set that's on there next. I'm probably going to watch all of these over the next little bit because they're pretty easy to watch and they're mostly really short. Like this is the longest one, All About Alice, and it's one hour. Uh, okay. The rest are all shorter than that. Uh, next cool. up. Escape from L.A. from the Carpenter uh, Bunch. We're getting near pretty near the end of uh, the Carpenter Watch. So Escape from L.A. you've never seen, right? No, I saw Escape from New York. Right. Uh, So this is the only sequel Carpenter ever made. And it's kind of self-parody a little bit. Uh, Very stacked cast, tons of cool people in small roles. Uh, I remember especially... Steve Buscemi as Maps to the Stars Eddie was really fun. (laughs) He's sort of his tour guide when he gets to post-apocalyptic L.A. Nice. Uh, I I guess L.A. is post-apocalyptic because it's been taken out by tidal waves at this point. Uh, It's set in some time that we're already past, I think. (laughs) I think it might actually be set in 2021 now that I think of it. Maybe. Uh, Anyway, it's, it's kind of jokey. But 
and it has some really bad 90s VFX, but I like it. It's it's silly. Like, it's very, very 90s. It's got one of those 90s butt metal soundtracks, you know? <laughs> butt metal? Butt metal. <laughs> <laughs> you got what, some anthrax is... on there. You got oh, some. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I think there's some biohazard. Oh, all, all that sort of stuff. Like, verging on rap metal, but not quite rap metal. Mm, okay, yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's not great, but I remember it being more fun the last time I saw it than I remembered it being when I saw it when it was new. Mm, okay. Uh, it definitely feels like it's a Kurt Russell film. Like, it's Kurt Russell wanting to revisit the character and John Carpenter being like, yeah, I'll come along for the ride. Ah, uh, all right. Uh, next one, very interesting, The Chinese Boxer. So, very basic plot. We see there's a martial arts school attacked by a bunch of Japanese thugs, and we got a student who's going to go get bloody revenge. That sounds pretty basic. You've heard this story before, right? Oh, yeah. You know why you've heard this story before? This why is, is that? The, this is the first kung fu movie. Oh, okay. The very first one. This is the one that created the kung fu movie that started the template. Unbelievably, that didn't happen until 1970. I thought they'd been around longer than that. Me too. I couldn't believe it. I, I looked it up and like, yeah, this is legitimately the first one. So is <laughs> launching an entire genre. Uh, so All it's right. Jimmy Wang Yu as the Chinese boxer. Uh, it's the first Shaw Brothers film. Starts out just, you know, uh, a whole empire of martial arts cinema. Hmm. Uh, so I've never seen that one, but, you know, rad. <laughs> All right. Uh, next up, A New Leaf, which is a classic 70s new Hollywood comedy directed by the great Elaine May. Uh, and it's starring Walter Matthau as just this guy who was born rich, but he's just kind of pissed away all of his money. and He doesn't have any anymore, so he wants to marry this rich lady and kill her so he can get that fortune. <laughs> uh, and he runs into Elaine May playing this strange socially inept lady who's really into bird watching and he goes after her and he sort of falls for her while he's trying to romance her to kill her <laughs> it's it's a really great movie it's very dark comedy uh one of the best comedies of the 70s all right cool uh next up crimes of the black cat another Cats don't commit crimes everything a cat does is right Thus, look, I have a cat on my lap. I just, you know. <laughs> so this is a giallo picture. Guess what the murder weapon is in this one? Is it the cat itself? It is the cat itself. The cat has poison oh so claws. <laughs> <laughs> so the killer has a wicker basket with a cat with poison claws, and that's how people are killed in it. I don't know a whole lot else about the movie, but that alone is like, yeah, I got to see this movie. <laughs> Nice, nice. Uh, and last edition this week is The Fisher King, which is a classic Terry Gilliam 90s movie, Robin Williams and Jeff Bridges. Uh, Robin Williams is a homeless person, and Jeff Bridges is like a radio shock jock, and the two of them team up to find the Holy Grail in New York. Because that's where it's going to be. I guess so. I It's... 
he is a, a mentally ill homeless person who uh, yeah. takes Jeff Bridges on this journey with him. I have seen it, but not since like the 90s. So I don't remember it at all. But I remember it being quite interesting. Cool, cool. All right, so those are the new reveals, but uh, obviously we got a bunch of other options here. Uh, oh, what there's are you a whole bunch. Like? Oh, yeah. Well, I see that you've got nothing but trouble on here. I sure do. Um, <laughs> I've heard about this movie without really knowing anything about it for so long. I just, I kind of feel like I just have to see it, but I still have to go in as blind as possible. Well, let me tell you one fact about it that may sell you on it. Okay. Dan Aykroyd's character has a penis for a nose. <laughs> oh, that that's just going to bring him nothing but trouble. That's just nothing but trouble. Uh um Tupac's in this movie? Like his actual Tupac and not yeah, a hologram. Tupac, Tupac himself. He, he, this is when he was in Digital Underground. So oh, he's shit. in it. He does a rap. There's there's I think John Candy does a rap, if I remember correctly, when I saw this on VHS as a kid. Now, OK, so I love John Candy with all my heart, but he's very white. He's so white. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, like I remember it being completely bizarre. Uh, but I have not seen this movie in upwards of like 30 years. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, how do you feel about doing that one? Totally into it. I specifically did not watch it in the past week because I thought it was almost definitely a lock for our pick when we came back. To <laughs> it's like it's like you know me. <laughs> like we gotta watch it. We've been talking about it forever. <laughs> All right. So oh, looking week, forward to it. Yeah, next week we're gonna have all craziness edition. We're gonna do nothing but trouble, who killed Captain Alex, and bad black. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. Yeah, some uh, Dan Aykroyd lunacy and some Wakaliwood super action next week. All right, so uh, that's all for this week, I suppose. Unless you have any final thoughts. Um. Yeah, uh, if you see a guy riding into town, um, maybe just see how tough he is before you try to pick a fight with them. Just probably a good idea. Maybe don't do it right away. Make you know, sure maybe... he's not Clint Eastwood. That That's probably just like a given. Oh, yeah, because I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely do that. Um and, you know, maybe he's just here to buy some water, man. Maybe you can just sell him some booze or whatever and be done with it. Maybe you don't have to involve him in your gang war. It could save you a lot of heartbreak. Of, could save you a lot of heartbreak, a lot of trouble. Yep. <laughs> all right. Well, with that sage advice, uh, we will leave you for this week. Uh, so keep on watching the stacks, folks. <laughs>